All right, Bruce, today's episode of Something to Wrestle With is brought to you by fight.tv forward slash StarCast. And Bruce, we've been talking about this for the last couple of weeks. And last week, you were pretty fired up at me about this roast, but I think you may have actually heard me sort of spilling the beans about what the plans were this past week. Are you getting nervous about this at all yet? Well, no, because we talked to Carl Ruiz and he's sending us over a roast in Chicago is what he said. No, he's not. Uh, what we're sending Martin. is Mike Lawrence, who won the roast battle, and we're sending Shuley from Howard Stern. And no, they don't some... like me. Exactly. That's the idea. And we're even bringing back some of your old friends, sort of this is your lifestyle. And tickets are sold out, but you can watch live from anywhere in the world from the comfort of your own home. You can watch it live or on demand all over Labor Day weekend at fight.tv forward slash StarCast. And Bruce, it's official now. It's going to be Cody Rhodes challenging Nick Aldis for the NWA world title. I know you're a big Dusty Rhodes fan. How cool would that be if Cody became the first second generation NWA world champion? If I don't need a dead foot step like the first time that I had to work that Ric Flair's ass in St. Louis, Missouri. St. Louis, Mo. Now Cody gonna do it in in shop town, if you will, baby. Fucked up like a monkey. If you go ahead and pre-order Starcast, you actually get a piece of that all-in ring canvas. This is the only place to get it. And when you pre-order Starcast, don't forget you'll get 20 plus stage shows, over 40 hours of live content. It's live and on demand, and it's at a fraction of the retail price. Lots of fun stuff. The NWO reunion, a Monday Night War debate, the roast of Bruce Pritchard, spend my days karaoke with both Bruce and Jeff Jarrett. Lots of fun stuff you don't want to miss, including, can't believe this is actually happening, Botchamania with Tony Schiavone and comedian Ron Funches and our buddy Cassio Kidd. But maybe the highlight of the whole weekend to me, Jim Johnston coming out of retirement, stepping out into the spotlight. He's going to take you to the creative process for all those iconic themes we all grew up on. A death of WCW panel. I can keep going. Check it out right now. It's fight.tv forward slash StarCast. Hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Something to Wrestle with Bruce Pritchard. Bruce, what's going on, man? How are you? Well, after surviving Philadelphia, man, what a week, huh? What a week indeed. We got to thank everybody over at Podcast Movement. Specifically, we need to give a shout out to our man, Dan, and of course, our man, Jared. They rolled out the red carpet for us. And let me tell you, this is my first time going to Podcast Movement. And if you're listening to this and you're looking for advice on what you need to do to get your podcast off the ground, I cannot recommend this enough. They're going to do this again next year. Podcast movement is an incredible convention. That's going to span several days. You'll get the ins and outs of exactly what you need to do to make a good podcast from the technical side to the content to the monetization. And it is a tremendous experience. I can't recommend it enough. This year it was in Philadelphia and we had the pleasure of making some new friends and hanging out with some old friends. Mr. Colt Cabana was there. Of course, who else would be there than the godfather of wrestling podcasts himself. And he introduced the newest members of the podcast hall of fame. He was like the host of the hall of fame ceremony. So I guess it's like the Oscars of podcasting and uh, you can check us out over on Colt's podcast. If you haven't heard his new format for the art of wrestling, you owe it to yourself to check it out. Uh, it was cool to catch up with Colt and make some new friends, including, I think it might be your new BFF. <laughs> my new man crush 
old, old Steve Heitner. And for those of you who don't know the name off the top of your head, Kenny Banya from Seinfeld fame. It's gold, Jerry. It's gold. And we we kind of like had a man crush over the over the week. Well, it's that's gold. You would think well, if you're going to do the yeah, clothes, that's gold. That's gold, Jerry. That's gold. He's going to have a podcast coming your way soon. Keep out, keep a lookout for that. And we got to catch up with Tim Sabian from uh, our friends over at Westwood One and Opie from Opie and Anthony and your boy from the Food Network. You're a super fan of this guy. And I just thought it was cool that you guys have, I mean, you found man crushes all over podcast movement. I, I really and truly did. And it's always funny whenever I meet somebody from the Food Network, the first thing I always tell them is, you know, you're on my house basically 24 seven because it's all my wife watches and she could care less about who I meet or like if I'll meet a big star, sometimes I'm all giddy and excited, but I meet people from the Food Network. She's like, oh my God, really? Can I meet them? And so to Carl Ruiz, uh, hey man, big shout out, found out Guy Fietti was a big fan of the show and a lot of folks over on the Food Network. So shout out to our friends over at the Food Network. Um, you're on all the time over here, but we had us a damn good time for the week. Yeah. And don't forget to check out Opie's podcast. I'm sure a lot of you listening to this used to listen to Opie and Anthony, but if you follow him on Twitter at Opie radio, uh, you can keep up with his new podcast, which is also on Westwood one. And you're going to hear Bruce and I on there very soon. And I guess we should go ahead and tell him right now, Bruce, that today's episode of something to wrestle is brought to you by ageless male max and ageless male max is a patent pending formula with an ingredient that helps boost your total testosterone which promotes greater increases in muscle size and twice the reduction in body fat percentage than exercise alone you can also get an amazing 64 percent increase in nitric oxide which can be handy in the gym and also in the bedroom tell them how they can take advantage of a special offer macho and what the bottom line is, though, before Macho even has a chance, Doctor, it's all about feeling better and feeling good, having more energy, more oomph when you need it, brother, if you know what I'm talking about. You know, when it gets the dirty, dirty time, you want to have that little extra oomph. So take your Macho Manhood to the max by trying your first 30-day bottle free. All you got to do is pay shipping and handling. No, we're not talking 10 days. We're not talking 12. We're not talking 20. We're talking 30-day bottle for free. All you do is pay shipping and handling. When you text the word SLAM, S-L-A-M, to 79-79-79. That's right. Finally, a formula that boosts total testosterone because that's what I'm full of. Dig it! If your results with Ageless Male Max are too intense, please decrease your use. Go ahead and get your free bottle today. Text the word SLAM to 797979. That's S-L-A-M 797979. Message and data rates may apply. And boy, we're going to need some data rates when we make our way to the UK. And I know you guys have been after us. You're not going to the UK. You're just going to England. Stop saying UK. Well, what if we did go to Scotland? What if we did go to Ireland? What if we announced that they're going to be on sale next Friday? We made it happen. Uh, our friends over at fight forever have pulled some strings and we're going to keep the band together. We're going to get started in early December. We're coming your way. Ireland. We're coming your way. Scotland. I've never been to Scotland, Bruce. I'm looking forward to this and tickets go on sale next Friday. How excited are you? 
I'm extremely excited because I've never been to Scotland either, and I love Ireland. It's the home country for the Pritchard clan, if you you know know what I'm talking about there. So I'm looking forward to going back to Ireland and looking forward for the Well, it was not a first that um, we had a little bit of controversy last week because everybody and their brother agreed with me. So let's go ahead and mark one for the good guys. Who, you were, well, what do you mean? Everybody agreed with well, you? Horseshit. No, you were full of shit on the DDP thing. The internet overwhelmingly no. had my back or at least everyone I saw on social media. Well, okay. Let, let's get it. Let's, let's get this out up front. First of all, well, I guess Paige, we should catch everybody up right now. I was saying that you guys buried DDP because you brought him in with that horrible stalker bullshit and you didn't allow him the opportunity to just come in diamond cutting motherfuckers. And that's what he should have been doing. And so you. And you say, no, if he was any good, WCW wouldn't win out of business, which is the dumbest shit I've ever heard. No, you know, first of all, let, let's, let's make this clear right off the bat. And, uh, l- let me say, first of all, that, um, I have been friends with, with page Falkenberg diamond Dallas page for umpteen years, all the way back to, to the late eighties. Okay. So I consider Dallas page, a friend I also consider him an excellent talent. And I took credit for the gimmick. Okay. I took the heat for it and I said, yeah, it was my idea. And I said, it failed. And you said, oh no, well, you guys always bury, uh, WCW guys that would come over and they never get a chance. Cause they're WCW guys. Cause they're not Vince's creation. And I, I just think of how ludicrous that that statement is when you think of guys like Eddie Guerrero and Chris Benoit, Steve Austin, Ray Mysterio, Booker T, The Big Show, Chris Jericho. The list goes on and on and on of guys that were WCW guys that came in and that we did do different gimmicks for. Some worked, some didn't. We tried the stalker thing with Dallas. It didn't work. We tried another gimmick with Dallas. It didn't work. And Dallas has gone on to be very, very successful. But to pick on that one little thing and say, I'm Diamond Dallas page bashing is fucking ludicrous and stupid. And if you go back and you listen to it, yeah, I took credit for it. And I took credit for it not being a very good idea in execution. However, sometimes you don't always get dealt the perfect deal. So you got to live with it, move on, and you've got to make the very best of it that you can. And it just was... Hey, it was a shitty deal. If people took it the wrong way, then that's on you. Go back and listen to it. Listen to what I was saying. And again, when I sit there and I listen, everybody talks about WCW and all this legacy, all this bullshit. Man, TNA Impact has been in business longer than WCW was. You know, how many times? That's a great point. Now, how many times did TNA beat WWE in the ratings or any financial metric or any metric at all? I. They never have. Okay. So uh, it's not, it's WCW not. only did it for 83 weeks. It, well, they didn't do it only 83 weeks. They did it 83 weeks in a row. But my point is, you the know, the point you, is they're out of business and yeah. And you said they were out of business because Dallas page wasn't that over. That's what you said. No, that's last not, week. no, that's not what I said. Okay. Do you want me to play the, you gotta listen, play it back? You got to listen to go back and listen to what I said and understand the entire context of what I was saying, that if everything they were doing and, and that works so well, and he was so great, then they'd still be in business. So, you know what? Fuck y'all if you don't get it. But I love Dallas Page personally. Just so clear, I, right I, now. I also, lo- I also love him as, as a talent. I thought he was a great talent. And I wish it had worked out and been different for him. Just so we're clear, uh, you, when you said fuck y'all, you, you're saying fuck you to the audience. I just want to make sure I got that right. 
No, I'm saying fuck y'all to the people that don't understand and that want to just make their own narrative and take their Dave Meltzer bullshit and turn it into something that it's not. I mean, Dave Meltzer wasn't involved in that at all. I don't know why you drug his name into this. Cause I don't like him. Well, I mean, we gathered that, but I, I mean, that was way out of left field there, bro. I was just asking you to defend what you said. And then you said, fuck Dave Meltzer. So I don't know if that's like just some sort of reactionary deal. Like I tap you on the knee with well, a usually, hammer. It usually makes sense. So, <laughs> and I think that the majority of our audience would definitely agree with me on that one. No, I think you're yes. in the minority there too, but I tell oh, you what, God, no, I, I, when, 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 when we bring up his name at any of our shows and it's 98% fuck Dave Meltzer. Well, because it's a fun and, chant that you get going, like, you know, no, I don't get them going. They do it themselves. You wear the shirt out and then point to no, the I shirt. I don't wear the shirt out. Okay. You they admit- wear it. They buy it. It's one of the top sellers because you- people say. FDM. You wore an FDM shirt on the WWE network and you can check out all those episodes on demand. We've got lots of questions. Where's something to wrestle? It's Wednesday. Well, season one's over, but you, if you missed it, go dig it up in the archives, man. You can just find us in the original section, scroll down something to wrestle right there. There's 13 episodes for you to enjoy. And if you'd like to see us back for season two, it never hurts to go ahead and tweet at WWE network and let your voice be heard. Don't forget to use that hashtag something else to wrestle. And I feel like we should also throw it out that you've got some appearances coming up. We're going to be together. I can't believe this is a thing at wrestling con, not WrestleCon. wrestling con. You're going to do a, a special Q and a in Huntsville, Alabama on August 11th. This is going to be the most convenient thing we've ever done for me. Let me just say well, for you, for you. Yeah. It's, it's funny because when I say that I'm going to Huntsville with my friends, they think I'm heading up the road to Huntsville, Texas. And so I have to make that distinction. No, it's, it's Alabama and, uh, absolutely love Huntsville. So that's going to be fun. Just to come out and hang out with you, but believe it or not, tickets some- are on sale at Ticketmaster right now. And it's not just going to be Bruce. It's going to be Jimmy Hart, road War animals, Sabu. I hear my boy, Tracy Smothers is going to be there uh, bill Irwin, yeah the goon the goon i can't wait to ask him if that shit was a rib go to Ticketmaster and pick up your tickets or check out rocket city championship wrestling on facebook and we also need to go ahead and announce that we have changed the time of our los angeles show they just released the start time for the nxt show so we want to make sure that it's convenient for everyone let's catch them up bruce what are the new details on the la show on november 17th well, it's at the Regent Theater, and we have moved the time up to a 1 o'clock start time. So the show will start at 1 o'clock. Doors will be at noon. If you have VIP tickets, that's going to be at 11 a.m. All the time, VIP is two hours before the start time. So if you've got your tickets, check your email. All the information is going to be in the email. If you've got tickets already, you don't have to do a thing. All you have to do is show up at 1 o'clock for the show and be ready to rock and roll. If you've got VIP, show up at 11 o'clock. Um, but, uh, I'm looking forward to getting back to LA. That's going to be a fun show. It should be a blast. And we're going to have fun today talking about vengeance 2003. And, uh, we'll probably plug some more stuff along the way because that's what we do on this show. Uh, let's talk about it though, man. We're right here today on the exact 15 year anniversary. You guys did this at the Pepsi center in Denver. Uh, it was sponsored by tomb Raider, which is kind of fun. It's hard to imagine. That was the thing. It was the game. Of course, you ever play any of those tomb Raider games? It feels like that would not have been your deal. What was the most you know, recent the, video game you remember playing? Pac-Man. Yeah. I remember, I remember Pac-Man and, and Galaga. I'm, a, I'm an excellent 
you know, it, it, uh, Miss Pac-Man, I was going to say Pac-Man too, but it's actually Miss Pac-Man, the one with the little bow in her head. I think the, the, like one of the first visits to the Conradison you made, you tried to like beat my dad's high score on Galaga. Well, I'm next time I'm there, I'm just going to unplug it and reset it. I'm going to do a George Costanza on it. You're such a fucking heel. What I, you know, the funniest part is, is that when I took my son to the Conradison, he got the Galaga Miss Pac-Man game and he was bragging about how he was going to kick my ass. And I just absolutely murdered him. Well, let's talk about this pay-per-view. It's the brand split raw and SmackDown. This is a SmackDown branded pay-per-view and the SmackDown pay-per-views in a three were no way out vengeance and no mercy. And we're on the heels of WrestleMania 19. And a lot of things have changed here in 03 relative to 02. And we've talked about that a little bit in the past, but I want you to expound on it a little more. But what jumped out to me watching this is it really sets in that Steve Austin as an in-ring competitor is done here. You know, you had such a big WrestleMania moment with the rock and Steve Austin, and now they're both gone. Of course, the main event of that show had Kurt Angle and Brock Lesnar, and they're going to be in the main event here joined by big show. Talk to us a little bit about the difference between O two and O three, though. Well, you know, uh, again, just as you just stated, so many things changed from O two to O three, in that there was a shift in talent and there was a shift in who we were going to have for the next five, for the next ten years, and we had to completely rebuild. We had to shuffle the deck and start basically from scratch all over again with, with talent that we had because the big guns were gone. Steve was gone. Rock was gone. You had to figure out what's next. And we were taking a lot of chances with a lot of young talent, Brock Lesnar in particular. Um, but as time would go on, guys like Eddie Guerrero and Chris Benoit got moved up in that mix even more so where we started depending on them a whole lot more. And going back, watching Vengeance 03, man, um, I don't know what I expected, but I didn't expect to enjoy this show that much as, as, as much as I did. And I thought it was just off the chart, top to bottom. I'm going to say it up at the front, an excellent show. You know, here's what's fun to me is this is, it does sort of feel like a throwaway pay-per-view. And I say that just because of the name, you know, we've all sort of gotten used to, as Eric Bischoff would say, the tent pole events for WWE being Royal rumble and SummerSlam and survivor series, and certainly WrestleMania, but a vengeance and some of these other shows just feels like, nah, like nobody, you know, really hopes to have a vengeance moment. It's a WrestleMania moment. But when you go back and you look at this card, holy cow at the matches that are on here and just the in-ring quality that uh, there you go, it's probably you know, I understand that a lot of people would say, oh, but there's no Austin and there's no rock and there's no triple. I get it. However, the in-ring match quality here is probably at a level that we've only seen a handful of times in the history of the company, right? Top to bottom. Yeah. I would, you'd be hard pressed to say, Hey, that match sucked. Even the match you thought was going to suck didn't. going in didn't suck. Yeah. We're going to talk about the match breakdown, but you did bring up a great point when you talked about, you know, the Benoit's and the Eddie Guerrero's and those guys had an opportunity to move up here realistically. And I don't know that this gets talked about that often. If Austin doesn't step away and if the rock doesn't go to Hollywood, those opportunities probably don't pop up, do they? 
Um, probably not. You know, n- not as soon as they did, right. but I definitely, I do believe, in particular, Eddie Guerrero and Benoit both. I think that they would have risen to the top. Well, here's the thing, and I don't mean this to. I mean, I, this is going to sound awful when I say it. Eddie's running out of time. You know, Eddie's not going to be with us much longer after this pay per view. So if he doesn't get to the top, it's just going to be one of those deals where we wonder, would he have ever gotten there? And I'm glad that we got to see him as world champion because I don't know the stress he put on his body or whatever, you know, you don't really get the full Eddie Guerrero run. He was taken from us too soon. And if he, if, if those guys wouldn't have left, we might not have had that WrestleMania 20 moment. That was such a big deal to a lot of us. Longtime fans. True. And the fact that also you take into account, you know, Brock is on a trajectory upwards and then Brock's going to leave us the next year. It's so it's just an interesting time, man. I feel like Oh three is a bit of a sleeper year because there's just so much going on. Let's talk about it a little more because we're talking about, you know, the way there's a brand split, but I've never really heard you talk about the agent split. So from a production standpoint, from a backstage agent standpoint, what's different after the brand split? Do you guys fucking draw straws to see who's where? Because I know a lot of times like. Michael PS Hayes, for example, these days, he goes to raw and SmackDown, and, and sometimes NXT. So he'll hit all three shows, but that's a little unusual. What was happening back in this era? Was the backstage the same for every show as far as television goes? As far as television goes, it was all hands on deck. So you had all of the agents there for shows that were run on the same night. We just split them like we split the crews, but the agents for the most part, there wasn't a there weren't a group of SmackDown agents and a group of Raw agents. There were the agents and the agents could go to to pretty much any brand. They were not brand specific. And for television and pay-per-views, it was all hands on deck. So what was your role in uh, during this show, July 2003? Of course we're going to see your silly ass out here in a little while, but behind the scenes, what were you doing here? I was writing SmackDown at the time, so I was, I guess I was lead writer of SmackDown in this time frame or something like that. I, you know, it it was, I worked, I worked, I was, Michael Hayes and I were the two guys that worked on, on both shows. So we, we couldn't really be brand specific, but if we were brand specific at any one point in time, more than any other, I was probably more SmackDown brand specific in this era. Talk to me a little bit about. You know, when you're saying that you're the head writer, where is Paul Heyman at this point? Paul at this point, I I think was kind of in between. And I think Paul had, it was thought that maybe Paul should not be, uh, on the writing team. And there was still talk of using Paul and utilizing Paul as a talent and some different things. But I, I don't, I went back and I, and I asked people, uh, you know, what's going on with Paul? It was like, ah, this was one of Paul's hiatuses. This was during the time that, you know, Paul wasn't uh, working with us on a day-to-day basis, you know? So he was still around, but he wasn't, he wasn't working on, on the blue brand, as they say. Let's talk about sort of what's going on in the company. Vince does an interview on June 25th. And when he's discussing the brand split he says, after WCW folded, we basically didn't have much of an alternative except to be in competition with ourselves to grow the business at all. It was important to have distinct brands. So we split the talent roster 
And the public thinks it's a half step back because you don't see all the talent on both shows, but this gives the newer talent a chance to develop and you can't do things overnight. When we went to war with WCW and lost a lot of our talent, we couldn't just snap our fingers and develop new talent. It took us a while to build stone cold, Steve Austin. We're getting there. We need to get more contemporary garner more interest in our new characters. And that means grabbing the right storyline hook that people become interested in and start the water cooler talk. Is that basically the sort of speech that you guys got when discussing the brand split? Well, that's what we were trying to do. And, and we had to create our own competition from within. And as we've talked about several times, going back to the WCW purchase, we were trying to purchase our competition to create our own competition. That didn't work. That was a failure. So we had to do it. We had to do it from within and we had to basically just make the two shows as unique as they could be. And that's where we talk about how we had different creative teams that wrote the two shows. We tried to shoot them differently. We tried to present them differently. Unfortunately, at the end of the day, when you've got Vince McMahon is who's still approving everything and, and is his fingerprints on it and the production, same production team, same production style, same everything. It all starts to go back and look the same. And, and you're promoting raw on SmackDown. You're promoting SmackDown on raw. There was still a lot of cross pollinization as, as hard as we tried not to, you couldn't help it. But you know, it is important that we remind everybody that realistically, what he's saying is true here about you've got, you know, by splitting the roster, you give younger talent an opportunity to shine. I mean, real in all honesty, without a brand split, how much television time on the big show does a Jamie Noble or a Billy Kidman or even a Haas and Benjamin get right? Well, yeah. When it was everybody together, there wasn't a whole lot of time for them, right? Be- because you had to have the same top stars on raw. You had to have the same they were the top guys the next night on SmackDown, they had to be featured. So you were telling, we were telling stories from show to show instead of week to week on the same show. That is a, that is a huge difference show to show instead of week to week. Um, and it, it's, it was difficult. Wade Keller would report in the torch around this time. And this is interesting to me because even though McMahon would reference WCW when discussing a brand split. Keller says that in June of 03, there's essentially like a mandate that nobody's supposed to talk about the WCW name because he doesn't see the point in using the name of a failed promotion. Do you remember that being passed down? Yeah, that was a general feeling. It wasn't like this is a mandate, but that was the feeling. It was WCW was a dead brand and, and didn't want to bring it up. It, anytime that you would bring it up, it would conjure up to those few fans out there that were still left of, Oh my God, let's, you know, the invasion. And that brings up negative. Great question that we got, uh, from a, a wrestler listener who may or may not want me to mention his name. Why was the logo changed in the middle of the invasion? We didn't touch on that on our most recent invasion episode, but you guys had a WCW logo and then it, 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 it was tweaked a little bit. I have no idea. I didn't know it was tweaked. Okay. We had, we had the red logo that we started with and best of my knowledge, we kept it all the way through. I thought, 
Let's talk about a, an HBO special, uh, real sports, which is still on the air with Bryant Gumble. It's a phenomenal program if you've never checked it out, but around this time they run a story on deaths in pro wrestling. And they start with video of Le- uh, Louis Spicoli and he's in a hotel hallway wandering around in his tidy whitey. He's looking for his hotel room. And of course they tell us that two years after that video, he died at 27 of an overdose of prescription pills and alcohol. And they talk about Brian Pillman and they say that there's been more than 60 pro wrestler deaths in the last six years from folks who have been 45 years old or younger. And they show Bobby Duncombe Jr., Terry Gordy, and then even people like Junkyard Dog who died in a car accident. But they're referencing that suicides are included in this figure. So they lump all the deaths together and they say that it's a rate at 400% higher than normal. And they're running through everybody, you know, Mr. Perfect, Rick Rude, Davey Boy, Brian Pillman. And the, the big thing here is they interview Roddy Piper. And we've talked about this a little bit. And he goes on to say in this interview, everybody's dead. They all died young and nobody cares about it. They take them and they screw them up so much. They being the rash of promoters I've gone through in my 33 years. And he talks about how he suffered and a lot of people turned to the deadly combination of pain pills and alcohol. And he sort of describes this cycle that they repeat where they stay up partying, then do some cocaine to stay up all night and catch a flight the first thing the next morning, but then they need an upper and some pain pills to get through a match. And now what do you do after the match? You're awake and high. So it starts all over again. And he says he did this for like 20 years. When you first, I mean, obviously a lot of these guys that they're running through here are your friends. When you first see this, let's remove the company aspect for a minute. When you see this story, what's your reaction? I thought it was really unfair. And I thought that it, it took to me, I thought it was a hit piece and I thought it was unfairly done and, and I can't take away my involvement in it. Uh, I, because those were my friends and they were painting the company as being responsible, which in my opinion is complete bullshit. Everybody has their own decisions in life to make, and not everybody was doing that. And look, I, I had my life on the road that I, I couldn't live today. And you look at the breed of athlete that participates today in the business is a completely different breed of athlete that, you know, I, you don't hear those stories like that. And it was a different breed of athlete. Then it was a different time. It was so much of it was the eighties and so much of it was the society in which we lived. And I dare, you know, anybody to go on out and do that. It's, it's just tough. And I'm not advocating in any way, shape or form when I'm, and I'm, it sounds like I'm making excuses, but everybody has a choice to make. I made my choices. I didn't always make the best choices. Roddy, I think what Roddy was trying to say was 
that some of us didn't make the best choices sometimes. And it's sad when you look and you hear of your contemporaries and friends of yours that you travel up and down the road that are no longer with us today. And some of them may have been due to their lifestyle and how, how they live their life. You can't control that. None of us can control that. Unfortunately, all you can do is, is control yourself. And as a company, when you're aware of it, try and help out where you can. Two questions I've got to follow up there. You said I had my life on the road. Do you mean just lack of sleep in this perpetual party? Do you mean, you know, drinking in the bar every night or give us a, give us a, a glimpse into the life. No, there was a period in my life, probably from the time that I was, I was 24 on that, you know, your time on the road at the end of the night, you're so wired from performing. You're so wired from, from me producing, performing all the above that you go to the bar and you have, you drink and you drink and I like to smoke my dope and I smoke my dope and I drank. And later on, many years later, uh, I discovered, you know, sleeping pills, painkillers and different things like that. Anything to help bring you down. I was never an upper guy. People, uh, it's always funny when people say, oh yeah, you know, you did a lot of cocaine. I tried cocaine one time, uh, didn't like it. Uh, I'm up all the time anyway. So I wanted something to, to kind of mellow me out. That's how I dealt with it. Uh, everybody else has a choice. There were guys that did nothing. There were guys that went back to their room and went to sleep, got up in the morning and worked out at five o'clock in the morning before they caught their flight. That wasn't me. <laughs> you know, I was, I was up all night drinking and, uh, doing whatever until I would come down. You know, some of that's changed just in society too, not yes. just wrestling. You know, me and you sort of joked about before that if you went backstage in a rock and roll show in the eighties, you know, there's just right. drugs and groupies. And I mean, it's just ridiculousness. And now, you know, everybody's got their families and their kids back there. It's not nearly the same thing. Yeah. It, and that's, as you say, society has changed and what was acceptable then and what was a an acceptable form, I guess, in, in the time we didn't know any better. And we thought, I know for myself, I thought I'd live forever. Well, I was going to die, you know, hard and fast type thing. So you, you lived your life that way, thinking that you were invincible and that you were immortal. And then you, you start looking around and, and you're losing people that were right next to you one day. And then, then they're gone. And, and, and the other thing that I, I really hated about this piece was I hated the mention of Owen Hart, hated the mention of, of, of dog and just people that weren't, they painted everyone in that is these people died because of the professional wrestling business. Like, no, be honest, be truthful. If you're going to do that, then go through each one and say what it is. And I, I, I did not like. The guy that did the interview, Armand Katane, I thought he was an asshole. Uh, he was an arrogant prick. Um, we'll, we'll come back to him for a minute. Cause we haven't even gotten to the events parts yet, but I want to circle back to that one line because you, you know, you're trying to take up for your friend a little bit here and I appreciate that. But you said, you know, I think what Roddy was trying to say is that some of us didn't make the best choices, but he actually said. They take them and they screw them up so much. They being the rash of promoters I've gone through in my 33 years, you know, Roddy did have a reputation as being somebody who 
sort of thought it was the boys versus the office. And a lot of guys adopt that mentality, but you know, this is a guy who refused to lay his shoulders down for anybody and that type of thing. Do you think Roddy really believed that the blame for some of this excessive partying that got out of hand was really on the promoter's head and not just personal choice? No, I don't. I, I, I don't think he thought that. I think that he used that as the excuse for why people made some of the choices that they made, because that's, that's what you do when you're an addict. I know that when, when I was doing, I, I looked somebody else to blame. It's much easier to do that than look in the mirror. Eventually you got to face the guy in the mirror. And I had many extended discussions with Roddy about this. And he was in a really dark place at the time. He regretted doing the interview. Uh, at least he said he did to me and it just, you know, they, they edit it, they edit things in a way. And he may have explained what I just explained, you know, in that interview at some point, they edit it, put it in a different context. And all of a sudden you get what you get. Well, I mean, he did say it, but here's my question. He did say, but he might've said he might've had the explanation either before or after as well. Here's what I wanted to say. Take one word. I see this and I can't help, but wonder is Roddy just such an entertainer and a performer that he knows this is what they're looking for. And he just sort of can't help himself. And he wants to be a performer and do a good job. And he just sort of lays it on. I mean, I'm not saying that Roddy's necessarily a liar, but if you're saying that's not how he really felt, is he just sort of getting into, I don't know, character shtick mode. I think he was definitely in character and shtick mode, but I also, you know, I believe him when he looks me in the eye and tells me, you know, here's what I meant. And they edited it, they chopped it up and they have, you know, look, it's television and he should have been smart enough to know that up front. You know, we all make mistakes, man. We screw up. It's also, it's also fair to say that when he looked you in the eye and said, you know, that's not what I meant. He could have also just been trying to protect his job, right? He didn't have a job at the time. Okay. Trying to curry favor to get a job back. I mean, no, no, no. He'd already lost his job. I mean, by that time, you know, actually I take that back. He, he told, look, he told us about it beforehand. And then you saw it and then you fired his ass. And then once they, once they saw it, then it was like, you know, Roddy, if that's the way you feel, then you don't need to be here. Well, that's certainly the way Vince felt because when Vince appears on this interview, at one point he says, if you can't cut it, get out. What's wrong with that? It's no different than any other business, by the way. If for some reason you have to rely on illegal drug usage to make it, you're going to self-destruct. And a lot of pushback came on Vince from that response. And the interviewer says 15 of the 60 plus wrestlers who died since 1997 at one time worked for Vince McMahon and Vince says a lot of the wild West partying stuff happened in the eighties. And he says he was a part of it quote that lifestyle back in the eighties could partially be attributable to the way people are acting today. Again, most of us, the smart ones grew up and grew out of those habits and certainly all the entertainment business. It was the wild West. A lot of the individuals, unfortunately passed away because of that. And then, you know, what's coming here. The guy well, okay, really but, pressed but even Vince. go back, 
go back and look at that, you know, statistic. 15 of the 60 plus it worked in the WWE, but they tried to paint the WWE as is the big bad, you know, person. And, and it and again, it wasn't fair because you do look at you look at Hollywood, you look again life. It was it was a different time and that's what it was. Why if you don't think Vince feels any sort of um responsibility why do you think he tries to help so many guys? Well, he does try to help guys and he does feel a responsibility to help them. Again, you can only help when you know, right? If you don't know, then it's damn near impossible to help. And sure. you can't, you can't go and help someone that doesn't want to be helped. So at the time that all of this is happening, either you're in it and you don't realize the harm it's doing, or you don't know. So if you don't know, it's, it's kind of hard to help someone. And I think that from just past experience and, and it, the guy that I've always known, Vince has always tried to help people. They had a problem sure. and wanted help. He's never refused anybody. You know, right now they have, <laughs> they take guys. If you were ever under contract WWE and you've got a substance abuse problem, they'll put you through rehab today. Well, here's the famous scene. Um, when they press, do you know why they're dying under the age of 45? Vince gets upset and says, why don't you ask yourself that question? Are you indicating that it is my responsibility that these people are dead? I would accept no responsibility for their untimely deaths. None whatsoever. You've got that little look on your face that says, oh, geez, Vince, how could you just possibly say that? And things go sideways from here. When you watch this back, what do you, I mean, this is not a good look for Vince. Can we agree? Well, I'll tell you what you haven't seen. You haven't seen the interview. You haven't seen the uncut cut footage. You weren't there. I was, I was in the studio. I was right next to Vince. We have the uncut footage. We have three different angles of it. We've got Armand Catane, uncut, uncensored. We've got Vince, and we've got a wide shot of everybody in the studio, including his producer and everybody else there. So you got an edited version of it. What you don't get is this guy flipping through his notes, ignoring Vince, not listening to the answers, not listening to what Vince is saying to him. And just going on to, to what's written and thumbing through his notes and rustling up papers and shit while Vince is, is talking to him. And I was irritated. I was pissed off. I went off on the producer. Vince got pissed off. And Vince grabbed his notes and, you know, to rattle him to say, hey, are you going to listen to me? Or are you just going to ask your little questions on your pad? And then you guys are going to go back and you're going to edit this to fit whatever question you want to have it fit. Because you're not interviewing me right now. You're just asking shit on a pad. And you're going to take my responses and put them wherever the hell you want. That's why he did what he did. And the guy was, I mean, they, they were complete dicks. But the raw footage, I mean... It all exists. We have all of it. I, I, I hear you, but yeah. it, what you're saying sounds a little bit like the dog ate my ha my homework. I asked, this is not a good look for Vince, right? 
And then you said, Oh, but the other footage, we didn't see that. You signed Vince signed up for an interview. You knew this might happen because you took the precaution to film it everywhere. No, we do that all the time anyway, but, but Vince still leaned forward and slapped the shit out of the papers. So that was not like some sort of CGI that happened. No, it did happen to get his attention, but come on. That's not a good look for Vince. Vince today would not slap that shit out of his hand. Vince would stand up and unbutton his mic, his lapel mic, and he's out of there. No, he wouldn't. He'd slap no, the shit out of the, th- the thing. Probably, probably would probably still do the same thing. If, if the guy was as disrespectful as this guy was, he'd probably do the exact same thing. I thought that the, so you think the this, interviewer, is, this is fine behavior. This is cool. No big deal. Um, I felt that it demonstrated a point. And again, you know, for those who were interested, they could go back. And at the time we would show them the unedited footage and say, you know, here's what he said. Here's how this guy was acting. Here's what it was. So people want to go back and find that. Yes, we had it. And again, it's just the media and the way that the media would frame things. And that's what he was trying to make a point out of. And guess what the clip was that everybody played? They played that. And so, of course, yeah, again, and Vince is a performer himself. So Vince was performing, but I was pissed at the, I was pissed at the guy. I was pissed at the producer. Um, and it was, yeah, I just thought it was a hit piece. I thought it wasn't very, I didn't think it was very well done. Well, of course you didn't shit on you. No. Didn't shit on me. I just, again, they didn't do their homework. They didn't know what they were talking about. They were just, no, you if send you, a reporter and you send a producer. They knew nothing about what they were talking about. They just had questions. You so at the they time, they didn't know what the questions meant. You really thought you were getting, you were going to get a fair shake here. And you thought they were just going to do a good story, a fair and balanced story on wrestler deaths. Uh, wasn't the way it was portrayed to us. It was, it was on wrestling and different shit. Yeah. That's what I wanted to go to. So HBO yeah. calls and they say, Hey, we'd like it's, to get with Vince. McMahon. Carry me through that. Yeah, no, it was, it was to do a documentary. They were going to do a documentary on wrestling and professional wrestling and all this other shit. And we'll know if we'd have anybody that would comment. And plus it was Vince's relationship with Bob Costas, which was, and it's good now. Um, but it was a relationship with Bob Costas and those folks over at real sports and through Ebersol and some different folks there that he felt confident that they would treat him fairly. And that's why I did it. Let me just state clearly for the record. Fuck Bob Costas. I like Bob. I don't. So he just shits on wrestling every chance he gets. Fuck him. So there's this famous line in this interview. And we talked about this in our Piper episode, it's available in the archives. It's something to wrestle.com. They sort of close the story because Roddy is going to drop a powerful line here. He says that he's got to go back to WWE because he can't access his pension fund until he's 65 quote. I'm not going to make 65. Let's just face facts guys. Roddy passed away at 61. Man, that's some heavy shit. Is it not? Yeah, especially today, you know, it, it, it's hard when you look back at that and just go, yeah, it's sad. And Roddy, my belief, and no, we never talked about it, but my belief is he did that for effect. That was the line he was looking for effect. Um, yeah, it's just sad. It's tough, man. 
Well, this is a famous skit. Of course, it's not on the network, but uh, it's probably on YouTube somewhere. Piper's not really doing himself any favors, though. Before he's fired, um, he's doing a radio interview where he's discussing the Piper's pits that he's been doing lately on television. And he says they all suck, with the exception of the first one, where he and Vince were able to improvise. But the rest of them were too scripted, and he doesn't really like the way he was being presented because he felt like he was sort of being boxed in. Did you talk to Piper about how heavily scripted you were in 03 compared to 20 years prior? Every week. And it was like pulling teeth sometimes because the idea behind even bringing Roddy back was to get other talent over. And we had talked to Roddy about, look, man, this is a great opportunity to come back. Um, Vince really didn't see him in the ring anymore, but he thought that if Roddy could teach some guys, teach them psychology and be able to, to help someone with their verbal skills in particular, Sean O'Hare, that he felt that that would be a, a good thing for Roddy to do. And it wasn't about getting Roddy over. Roddy was still of that old mindset that he wanted to get over. It was about getting him over. So the way that Roddy would, would want to frame things and the way that we would frame them, and I did most of them, so it was me that was trying to get it out of him. I, I was trying to help him get Sean over. I was trying to get him to get other younger talent over, and it was just a battle constantly. All right, Bruce, we got to take a time out here to talk about SaveWithBruce.com. I know we talk about this every single week, but I've just got to brag for a few minutes about all the great stuff we're doing to help our listeners. We just helped a listener all the way up in Virginia. Go ahead and buy a house with no money down. He'd been renting for years, the same house, the same landlord. And he realized, man, if this would have been in my name, I could have almost had this thing paid off. But after all these payments, what do I have to show for it? He heard me say that here on the show. He decided to check out SaveWithBruce.com, And now he's a homeowner. It's never too late to get started. Don't assume you need a huge down payment or perfect credit. Even credit scores in the 500s can make this happen. In fact, I can help you get in a house cheaper than you could even go get in the new apartment. You see, at a new apartment, you'd have to pay your first month's rent, your last month's rent, and a security deposit, but we can help you get into a brand new house of your own, something for your family, all here at First Family. Just check out SaveWithBruce.com, and in a couple of quick clicks, some of my folks are going to be helping you become a homeowner. We can help you make this entire process fast and easy. Don't feel overwhelmed. You're going to be dealing with me and my staff here at First Family Mortgage. Check it out. SaveWithBruce.com. You don't need perfect credit. You don't need money out of your pocket. What are you waiting for? Check it out right now. SaveWithBruce.com. Let's talk about uh, Brock Lesnar. He misses some house shows in late June because he hurts his leg in a boating accident. Allegedly, he was friends with a guy in Texas and they go on a trip and he somehow falls off the boat into the water and hits his leg on the propeller, which opens a really long cut on the back of his leg that was said to be pretty serious and required stitches, but no major injury, no tendons or anything like that are injured. What do you remember about hearing about this Brock Lesnar boating accident? And it's worth mentioning. He's your world champion. (laughs) It was what the fuck are you doing? Fucking around on a motorboat. Um, 
Goddamn, pal, get a rowboat. That's what real men do. <laughs> row, row, row your boat, you motherfucker. Get an inboard engine, not outboard. God damn it. Um, yeah, a lot. What I here's what I remember more than anything was it's superficial. I think that was the word Brock used. It's superficial. Nothing bad got cut. I had to get some stitches, but it's really just a superficial cut. It was it was pretty nasty. I mean, it got cut by the motor, but um, I was like, damn, what the hell are you doing? That's bright. You, you know, that's kids being kids. It's like telling Jeff Hardy, Jeff, don't ride your damn motor scooter anymore. Okay. And he goes out behind his house and jumps 20 cars and misses the 19th one and breaks his shoulder. <laughs> it's like, I had it. I had it. I had it. You know? Uh, man, kids are going to be kids. <laughs> Let's talk about Zach Gowan. Speaking of kids, because he's a youngster and he's thrown into the spotlight pretty early in life here. Um, Wade Keller would report that he had been handling himself well backstage so far, even though he's got to fear being labeled quote, an affirmative action or charity case who doesn't belong. And Wade would say he's been trying hard to fit in with the rest of the wrestlers, despite his limited resume and his fast track to the top, which seemingly is going to get you a little bit of heat, but he's hearing that if anything, he's actually trying too hard to be pals with the other wrestlers, but he hasn't overstepped his bounds and he's not coming across with an ego and he's not being disrespectful. Talk to us a little bit about how you found Zach Gowan. Cause it's a pretty famous story. And then whether or not there was heat on him, because when he comes in and he's working with all these top guys right away, some of the guys who've been sort of waiting their turn, so to speak, waiting to be anointed, they've got to not be happy with this. Well, we, we found Zach, somebody had one of those TNA pay-per-views or whatever the hell it was, or I don't know if it was their TV show or what, but they said, Hey, did you see the one legged wrestler? And we took a look at this tenacious C Zach Gowan thought, Holy cow, man, this is, this is pretty cool. He's working on one leg and he's, he's working and having a match and was pretty entertaining. So we found out a little bit more about him that he was like 19 years old and lived in Michigan, got a phone number from somebody. I don't know if Paul Heyman got it or, I got it. Somehow we got the number and called talent relations, which was John Laurinaitis at the time and said, Hey, we want this guy. See if he's under contract to TNA. If he's not, we'd like to take a look at him. If he is obviously nothing you can do about it. You got to bite the bullet and move on. So Johnny called and says, yeah, he's, um, he's not under contract and he's available. You want me to bring him to TV? We were like, yes, bring him to TV. Well, we're on the plane and we're, we're flying out to, to TV, wherever the hell it was. And we're talking about this Zach Gowan kid. We're going to take a look at him and so on and so forth. And Johnny goes on to tell us like, Oh, Hey guys. Yeah, I got him. And, uh, just to, uh, he looks really good. Matter of fact, you really can't even tell that he's missing a leg. Like, yeah, but we want 
we want to, to tell the story. He's only got one leg, and we, we want him to work with only one leg. He's pretty good. He's a pretty good worker with both. You know, he's got a prosthetic. We know he has a prosthetic, but we want him to work with with one leg, and that's that's the idea. That's the attraction. Uh, okay, but uh, yeah, he's not nineteen either. He he's like thirty something. We're looking at ourselves, going thirty. There's. He may not be 19, but there's no way that he's 30. And he's been working a while, too. He's, he's a pretty good worker. Steve Kern found him for me. We're thinking, we gave you his number. You didn't need anybody to find him for you. It's You had his phone number. All you had to do was call him. Well, come to find out, there was a gentleman in Florida, in the Tampa area, real nice guy, uh, worked a Mongol gimmick Had uh, he was bald. He was a contractor. And, um, I actually had met him before. I didn't know that he, first of all, I didn't know he was a worker. I didn't know <laughs> that he was missing a leg because he walked around on it. But, uh, that's the guy that Johnny had hired a bald headed Mongol that's in his thirties and his, uh, he had lost his leg, I believe at the knee and wore a prosthetic all the time. So we're like, we gave you the number. <laughs> we told you the guy's name. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And his name's not Zach Gowan, <laughs> but we wanted Zach Gowan. So long story short, he got a hold of the correct Zach Gowan, the correct one-legged wrestler, and got him to TV. And we had to let the wrong one-legged wrestler go back to Tampa. <sighs> Such a great story. So chat me up, though. Zach comes in. He's getting a push. You got a lot of guys who are sort of waiting on their their moment to shine. And now the one-legged guy's here taking all the shine away. Anybody have a problem with that? I think that there may have been guys that might've been jealous of it, but at the same time, you can, you can do so much with an attraction. And I think that for most people, they kind of felt, okay, this kid's going to come in and do his time and, and then he'll be gone. I think that was the general feeling, but also I'm sure there was a lot of jealousy. Nobody came to me and said, Hey, what the fuck? See, I was hoping you had a story because I just knew you would say, I can just know in my heart, your answer would be, well, goddamn, chop your fucking leg off, put you in the main event. Well, that's probably a good response, but <laughs> that feels well, like, Hey, you won't get over. I got an idea. How about we cut his leg off? Well, it worked for that kid in Tampa. Let's get that phantasmo shit from 10 years ago out here. Oh hey. my God. Instead of pulling handkerchiefs out of his sleeve, he just cut your leg off. That motherfucker set the gorilla position on fire and damn near killed me one night. Are you serious? Phantasmo, yes. No, you, say it fucked up like. Don't say it the real way. Phantasmo. <laughs> Del Rios. Motherfucker. Um, another nice kid. That was a Jerry Lawler find for us. And he, he does magic. And imagine, do all this shit. imagine that the guy yeah. from Memphis brings in a fucking magician. And so we're, we're coming up with all these, you know, spots like for a magician to do and everything. Right. 
And he's like, oh, I can't do that. Well, I can't do that. <laughs> I can't do that. But I can I can pull shit out of my mouth. Watch this. Um, so he's backstage. And we're getting ready to, to send him to the ring. And he had liquid fire. And it's this shit that apparently when you pour it out or something, you, you have fire. And we're at a high school gym type setup. And I'm right inside the gym area. And I'm in basically a box. The gorilla position, a wooden table and everything else. And I look up and I smell smoke and the curtains are starting. They're on, they're on fire. And Kevin is telling me, send him, send him. I was like, I'm on fire. God damn it. Somebody get a fucking of a fire extinguisher out here. I couldn't get out because I was boxed in. I was up against a wall and the curtains are going up in flames and he's sitting there fumble fucking around. And yeah, I wanted to kill him. Needless to say that, uh, that was the last trick he had up his sleeve. But, um, anyway, and remind me somewhere in here, I don't even know if it really fits here, but fuck it. I'll tell it now. The, the famous Zach Gowan story when, when we got into this and, and it was a different story, we had to, we had to improvise as we went on and we were looking for something for Brock Lesnar to do to Zach Gowan. And I'm jumping ahead and going all over the place, but fuck it. Vince and I are standing in the middle of Madison Square Garden and we're staring up into space and, and we're both like looking around the building. And he says, what are you doing? I'm looking for something to throw Zach Gowan off of. And he starts oh. to laugh. And he says, God damn, so was I. <laughs> because we had talked about him taking a big bump somewhere and for Brock, if Brock could do a big bump with him somehow, well, I'm looking to do something off of a vomitory up in Madison square garden. And you mean a, a, a vomitorium? Well, vomitory, I called vomitory. That's where they used to vomit back in the Coliseums when they had the lions and the tigers and the bears fighting and shit gladiators. So. I'm looking around and, and, and we're sitting there and we're talking and, and then we look and they had, it was SmackDown day. They had the big fist up. Remember the big, uh, metallic fist. Yeah. So I was sitting on the ground and, uh, Vince looks at us. What about off of that? I was like, That'd be cool. But how the fuck do we get him up there? Yeah. We'll figure that part out. He goes, but it's gotta be safe. And we're trying to figure out how a safe bump that he can take from high above. And then we go, well, what if we did it up in the rafters and he basically threw him off into darkness and you really couldn't see that it was Zach or you couldn't see the ending bump. And we were looking down, the, the stunt guy comes by and we yell down at him and tell him to come up and we say, Hey, we're thinking about doing a stunt. It's gotta be safe. We want to do it with Zach. We're, we're Brock ends up, you know, throwing him off something high and it's gotta be, we've got to have a crash pad or whatever. And we don't want to see him take the bump. Hey, well, I, I, I can do it where he can take the bump. This is how would you do that? Cause it was stunt man. Said, yeah, but I mean, he's got one leg. People are going to know. And he said, no, nah, I got it. Takes out his cell phone and hits one button. Okay. Speed dial. It's one button. Well, for, it's one button for one leg. Well, yeah. Okay. But speed dial work with me here. Okay. 
And all we hear is his side of the conversation. It's like, hey, man, hey, yeah, it's me. Hey, hey well, listen. Um, I, and he takes the phone and says, which leg is that boy missing? Vince and I look at each other and we're like, I don't know. <laughs> I think he, it's his left one that's gone. He's, he's got his right leg. He goes, yeah, yeah, left leg. Uh-huh. Yeah. All right. We're in New York. Yeah. Can you be here today? Uh-huh. All right. Yeah, we're here two days. And he looks back and goes, got it. Vince and I are looking at each other in amazement. He had a one-legged man on speed dial. A one-legged stunt man. But when the one-legged stunt man showed up, he had grown a leg. Oh, my. And we look at him and said, um, hey, man, uh, he's got two legs. Well, yeah. Well, we'll make it look like he's only got one. That was my fucking... That, that was the whole thing where we got Brock in the wheelchair and threw him down a set of stairs eventually because... That's where he grew a leg. What? But he had a one-legged stuntman on speed dial. Well, no, he didn't. He had a two-legged stuntman that he pretended he kayfabed you. Do not fucking throw facts into a goddamn good story. Well, yeah. Well, yeah, that kind of fucks it all up, doesn't it? <laughs> but it was funny at the time because Vince and I thought he had a one-legged stuntman on oh, speed dial. That's tremendous. He was in Tampa. <laughs> it was a ball mongol. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Oh, well. What do you think of Keller's uh, reporting here that maybe Zach was trying a little too hard? Uh, Zach was 19 years old. Fuck yeah, he was trying hard. He had no idea how to act and react. Uh, he was around a bunch of men. He had been in hospitals so much of his life and, and fighting fighting not just for his leg, but for his life, you know, his whole life with cancer and everything and, and battling. So he's, he's thrust into this world that he wasn't brought up in and, he, and raised by his mom. And, and he just, it was a new world for him. So yeah, he was trying real hard. He had no clue. He wasn't a seasoned veteran. He wasn't somebody that grew up in the business, really had no one to take care of him. And he just wanted to be a wrestler. And so he was in awe of all these guys. Right. And he sees the, he sees the undertakers like, Oh my God, that's the undertaker. And there's Vince McMahon and he's talking to me. So he was, he was pretty, uh, pretty awestruck. So it probably came off very awkward, but I don't think it was intentional. I don't think he meant, I just don't know that he knew how to act. Well, let's talk about, uh, the interview he does with USA today. Uh, it's written by former WCW magazine writer, Ross Foreman, who I believe listens to this show too. And Zach's pretty honest with himself and the reporter. He says, if I had two legs, I wouldn't have been hired. But the fact that I have one leg, it can actually work. That's why I got hired. So he sort of knows the deal, but were you guys looking for any mainstream publicity? Like, you know, you kept saying attraction, come on down, see the one legged wrestler. Well, yeah. And he's right. It was the attraction and, and it was an oddity. It was something that was very unique, but it was also a great story. Here was a kid who battled cancer his whole life and was literally living his dream 
being a wrestler when I guarantee you everyone that he encountered his whole life told him it was impossible. Right. Not only was he doing it, he was doing it on the grandest stage of all. So that is a hell of a success story. Can I tell you something that I've always thought would have been fun? No telling. What if Vince Russo was around to book this? Oh my God. Can you imagine? Tell me that wouldn't have been fucking awesome. In what way? Well, I mean, you saw what you did with him. Can you imagine if he was there to sort of turn the volume up? This would have been tremendous. Oh my God. You're already pushing motherfuckers downstairs in wheelchairs. Like what else could we do? Pogo stick competitions. I mean, there would have been some silly shit here. So let's talk about Chris bell. You know, we fucked up. You know that I, I didn't do, they'd have put Zach Gowan's ass on a pole. He could, I mean, that prosthetic leg would have been on a fucking pole. That would have happened. You know, it would have happened. It would have been tremendous. So Chris bell, we've talked about him a little bit here on the show before, and it was reported that he got a 90 day tryout as a writer. And basically that was done as a favor to the rock because they had spent some time together early in their career when rock was first trying to break in and he was well liked by some of the guys, but wait others, a wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. What? This is all directly from the torch, but others had accused bell of being a bit of a stooge because he was allegedly reporting back to triple H what some of the guys were saying. Chat me up here. What do you remember about Chris Bell's sort of tryout period on the writing committee? Well, I, I don't remember a whole lot about Chris Bell's tryout period. I remember him being there, and he was a guy that had worked at UPW uh, with Rick Bassman in Southern California. Knew his brother Mark and Smelly, great guys. Um, Chris was working, I believe, at the World Gym or Gold's Gym in Venice. And had met rock there. He did not work with rock in California during rocks early days. It was, he met him at the gym while rock was working out apparently. And I think rock did bring his materials in. Uh, but I'm pretty sure that's where it ended. I, and I had to jog someone else's memory for this because I wasn't there a whole lot. I was in Texas at the time. So most of my stuff was by phone and I only saw guys at TV and so I wasn't there for the day to day during all this time. So when you said 90 day period, I'm like, okay, uh, <laughs> yeah, it sounds about right. But, uh, for the most part, it, it's, it's funny that he says that, you know, he was a stooge and he would, he would talk to people because the reason I got that he didn't go beyond his 90 days was because he never pitched any ideas. He never said anything in the meetings and he never really turned anything in and, that's what I was told. So I, I didn't have that much interaction with him to, to know one way or the other. Cool. Let's talk about Hulk Hogan. He's most recently been doing the Mr. America gimmick, but that's going to be short lived here. And eventually it's announced that he's just going to be on hiatus due to creative differences. And it almost feels like you can hear the frustration when he's on his pal at the time. Bubba the love sponges radio show. And he promotes that he's going to be on SmackDown and Bubba tries to correct him and says, you mean, Mr. America is performing on SmackDown. And of course, Hogan even blows that off and says, yeah, okay. When did the bloom sort of come off the rose with Hogan 
as Mr. America. Vince didn't get it. Vince had never seen it. Vince didn't understand it. Vince didn't get it. Um, the rumor in innuendo is that he was not happy with his WrestleMania payoff. He was used to making, you know, a million dollars or more for WCW pay-per-views and obviously some of his big WWF stuff back in the day, but Keller's sort of freestyling that he was probably only getting somewhere between 250 and 400 here for WrestleMania 19. And he feels like he's been slighted a little bit. Do you remember there being, you know, some sort of disagreement about his compensation for WrestleMania 19? I think that every WrestleMania, there was probably some kind of disagreement between Vince and Hulk on what the WrestleMania payoffs could be. I, I can tell you exactly what had happened during that time and what the exact story I got from Vince and exact story that I got from Hulk. And by the way, they were the same that they were talking and Hulk Hulk and I were doing the, the Mr. America deal and it was off of the, the dusty roads, uh, Uvalde slim and, uh, midnight cowboy stuff that, that he had done in Florida and we'd done it with Bill Watts in Oklahoma. And we wanted to do the same thing with Hogan and the idea behind it was that it would build to, we were talking about for the July pay-per-view to be the great American bash and to bring the bash back. Cause we own the name. The idea was do the great American bash and the great American bash will pit Mr. America against Vince McMahon and Vince is going crazy trying to prove that Mr. America is really Hulk Hogan. And of course Hulk is under the Mr. America mask mask. We do. We even had, uh, the idea to use Hulk's body double that he had used in some other movies and do the whole thing where they take the mask off and it's in your, or the mask guys in the ring and Hulk walks out and different stuff like that to, to show that there were two different guys. Um, Vince just didn't get it. Thought it was stupid and, and didn't like it. And we're like trying to, we're trying to sell this thing. So they got in a big argument and I'm sure that it stemmed from the WrestleMania payoff. It probably did, but from Vince and Hulk, both the quote I got was, the only person that knows how to write for Hulk Hogan is Bruce Pritchard, and you don't get it anymore. Mm. I had that message left on my phone by Vince. And then when I called him and got him on the line, he re repeated the line. I hung up with him, and I called Hulk, who also repeated the exact line. He goes, he just doesn't get it, brother. You're the only one that gets it. So... That was like just dumping a shitload extra heat on top of my head as oh, if yeah. I didn't have enough already. And, but that was, you know, it was, it was a disagreement over creative. I'm sure the pay probably entered into it. It, it usually does. But the reason I was given was that they, they had just reached an impasse. I had really wanted to get to the point of the great American bash mask versus hair with Vince because people would think, well, they're not going to, uh, and, and if it was Hogan under the mask, then he was gone from the WWE forever life and gone. Um, 
And if Vince lost, he would shave his head. And that was a real, that was a real, you pick him. You, you couldn't pick that. No one would think we would ever shave Vince's head. And we never got there. So when the mask versus hair match doesn't happen, Vince says, God damn, pal. Where's a one-legged bastard? Yeah, a little feller with one leg hobbling around back there. <laughs> Bring me the gimp. What? I don't know what to say right now. <laughs> you win. You hey, win. Zach. Hey, Zach. I love you. Zach knows I love him. Yeah, right? Zach listens to the show. A uh, longtime listener to the show, and he's actually made an appearance Matt Coon's podcast, why it ended. I don't know why you would listen to that. Cause it's got Matt Coon. He has a podcast. Yeah. Barely. Oh, okay. yeah. All right, Bruce, we need to take a time out here and talk about our friends over at cardboardtreasures.com. They sponsored our social media page a few weeks ago, and the group is breaking in a new popular way to enjoy sports car collecting and investing. Now you can get all your favorite sports team or WWE superstar cards from an entire sealed case. At a fraction of the cost, just head on over to cardboardtreasures.com today to learn more cardboardtreasures.com. I got to tell you, it's the place to be that's cardboardtreasures.com. So let's talk a little bit about how we're getting to the big show. And one of the angles we're going to be building towards is something with Tori Wilson and on July. Yeah, Yeah, we'll get there on July 11th. Tori Wilson gets married to Billy Kidman. And of course, lots of the boys are there. Chat me up. Uh, Tori Wilson, Billy Kidman. What was that like? I think John Layfield summed it up the best when he used to shout across the room every time that he would see Billy Kidman. And he would say, Billy Kidman, you're the most overachieving son of a bitch in this locker room. And we all hate you. Pretty much summed it up. Pure, unadulterated jealousy. What more can I say? Billy Kidman was a hell of a salesman, was he not? Uh, yes. Good God. Kidman, if, it, you're, if you're listening and you decide you want to, you know, hang up the headset, uh, we can find a spot for you at First Family no, Mortgage because you can sell no your ass off. No kidding. And, and, you know, the funny thing is, is that. Billy is one of the nicest guys in the world. Just like a really nice guy, like too nice for his own good. And Tori Wilson is probably one of the sweetest human beings you could ever know in your life as well. So they matched up well, but it didn't fit. You know what I'm saying? Well, you're just, you're just jealous. You're being a hater. You're damn right. I, I was damn. But yeah. Hey, does Stephanie listen? You're Stephanie. Just, oh yeah, definitely. Okay. Well, my kids do. So they're going to tell her what you just said. What? She knows Tori. And she knows that you're jealous of Kidman? No, I'm not jealous. I'm just kind of a little envious sometimes. Oh, that's way different. You're, you're good. Yeah. Uh, around the same time, Wade Keller reports that Terry Taylor was laid off as an agent. Um, it's written WWE hasn't been running as many house shows. So the road agents have been put on a schedule of working five weeks, then having one week off without pay and Terry Taylor apparently wasn't told a reason for his dismissal, only that things quote, didn't work out. And this message was delivered by Johnny Ace himself by telephone on the morning of July 14th. What do you think that sounded like, Bruce? 
Oh, cock-a-doodle-doo. Are you there? Oh, hey. We're, uh, we're going to let you go. Hi, buddy. Thanks. See you down the road. Bye. <laughs> it was probably actually kind of close to that. Uh, it was, that's all it was. We'd brought in some different agents to try them out. And Terry was one of those guys that had come in to, to try out in the agent role. After a while, realized how many agents that we needed on a full-time basis. And he didn't make the cut. I don't think it was anything Terry did this time. Okay. I like that. You said this time we'll leave that open for next time. You know, he's in the news right now because Mattel just announced they're releasing a red rooster figure. Will you be buying that? No, but by the way, you're welcome, Terry. We made you relevant again. I wonder if it's got one of those push button things or like a pull string where it could do the cockadoodle doo thing. I thought if you like pulled the string, it like stooge somebody off. Well, Bradshaw was in charge of it. It would. <laughs> Bradshaw, not a uh, Terry Taylor fan. Uh, besides, yeah, I don't think so. Besides Wade Keller, who is a Terry Taylor fan. Good point. I mean, I just know that I've never, re- I've never read Wade Keller say anything negative about Terry Taylor. And it's one of those things that makes you go, Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. Makes sense. So one of the things that we're building to here as well is Stephanie and Sable. And we see a skit on the way here where Stephanie attacks Sable and rips her shirt off as she's trying to get into a limo. You watched the pay-per-view this week for the first time in a long time. What'd you think of that skit? <laughs> um, I thought it was good stuff. It was, you know, those girls, those girls, those women, those ladies, they beat the shit out of each other. Dude. It was like, there was very little working there. It was real. And hearing Stephanie, Stephanie's like over the top sounds. She makes, you know, when she yeah. dresses, it just cracks me up. Yeah. She screams these, these primal screams. She can't help it. It's, it's yeah. hilarious. By the way, Sable here to me looks better than she ever looked. I don't know. Her, her look is totally different. She doesn't even look like the person who was here a few years prior. She's totally changed the way she looks here. Not with surgery. Just, you can tell that her diet and training regimen, all that. I mean, she's totally different. Yeah. And she trained for this stuff. I mean, she, tra- both Steph and Sable trained for this damn match. And I was like, damn, <laughs> they came to fight. <laughs> so it was, it was pretty good. And, and going back and watching, and of course, I love how people, you know, Sable was completely covered up folks. Um, it just made it look like she was topless. The skit with, uh, Tori Wilson that you were sort of hinting at earlier, you know, really happens when Billy Gunn and Tori Wilson are in a mixed tag against Jamie Noble and Nidia. And after the match, Noble offers Tori Wilson $10,000 to spend the night with him. An indecent proposal, if you will. And he's going to continue over the coming weeks to pursue Tori and up his offer. I mean, it's a pretty out there angle. And we've also just to sort of set this up, we have to establish that Tori is with Billy. So they're seen on camera making out with one another, man, this really does. (laughs) This feels like a rib. Like, you know, that she's marrying Billy Kidman and it feels like Vince is like. Goddamn, pal. 
They're getting no, married. I don't, I don't know who who the rib would be on there, boy, because Billy's Billy's wife um, would kill him. <laughs> so it was. I think there was a lot on both sides there. Damn it, this is entertainment. So entertain me. But made some good television. Chat me up. Not a rib. No, the timing is super curious. No, I'm, uh, and again, it was, they were a great looking couple. They looked good, man. If you were going to have a, uh, a fitness magazine, do those two not look perfect on a fitness? I'm magazine? not arguing that, but I'm just saying, oh, she's getting married. M- have her make out with <laughs> Billy Gunn. And then have I the, think it was just, no, then have it was the just little fellow try to try to bang her for money. Let's go. <laughs> Coincidental timing. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So incidental timing. Who's um are you producing those promos with Jamie Noble? What's that sound like? As a matter of fact, yeah. And I, I was I was there at the Playboy Mansion and the, the whole nine yards with, with Jamie and Hang on, baby, you mean I'm gonna get inside of that, baby? Hell yeah, give me some of that there, Tory Wilson. How much of it do I get to see? Let me see it all, baby. Come on now, get on in there and get on in naked like I like a get naked. I get naked with you. This is we're both naked and feeling naked. I like naked. Speaking of naked, uh, Crash Holly. No, naked. Oh, sorry. Not naked. Crash Holly feels naked when he's terminated. And it's written in the torch that some of this is due to a verbal confrontation with Brian Gewertz. And it's written in the torch. Holly, who had a well-earned reputation for complaining about how he was used. Approached SmackDown writer Dave Lagana a while back about the lack of a push he'd been receiving. Lagana listened to Holly's complaints before eventually telling him that he should take his case to Vince McMahon, who makes the final decisions on all booking matters. It's unclear as to whether Holly ever had that talk with McMahon, but what has come out is that Holly spoke with Raw's head writer, Brian Gerwitz, about his situation, and the talk became heated. Sources report that Brian later contacted WWE official John Laurinaitis and complained that he felt cornered and intimidated by Holly during the conversation. And a short time later, Laurinaitis contacted Holly and informed him of his release. Although there is heat on Brian in some circles for making a bigger fuss out of the situation than was necessary, most insiders maintain that Holly's termination was long overdue because his complaining got to the point where it was just bad for locker room morale. I know we hate to speak ill of the dead, but what happened? We had nothing for him and he was let go because we had nothing for him. There was no Brian going to John Laurinaitis or anything of the such. That's just completely made up and not true. And during the time, uh, Mike was, uh, crash Holly was, upset about not being used. And when you complain about I'm not being used and do something with me and they don't have anything for you and you go on and you're not, I'm not getting used and I don't want to be here if I'm not being used and it's okay, move on, let them go. And that's what happened. That's, I mean, not as juicy as a big fight that never happened. That's made up that people can talk about, you know, that, Oh, this is what happened. It's just not true. How do you say member of the writing team, Dominic's last name? Uh, Pagliaro. That's what I was going to say. Da. Uh, so. Da. Cool, dude. 
So let me pitch Val this. Pagliero. How's his name come up? Here's how it comes up. It's written in the torch that Brian was criticized by a lot of writers for not attending the scouting trip to Ohio Valley. Guys who did make the trip were Dave Lacana, Ed Koski, Dom Pagliaro, and Michael Hayes. And more than one member of that party was openly critical of Brian for not making the trip. And his excuse for missing the trip was that it was his day off. While it is a logical excuse, uh, a lot of people are sort of frustrated because he avoids all scouting trips and overseas tours quote. Meanwhile, SmackDown writer, Bruce Pritchard was also the butt of some of the writing team's jokes, particularly because he didn't make the trip because Vince McMahon wasn't there to suck up to in Pritchard's defense. He is no longer working in the office on a day-to-day basis because he's moved his family to Houston, Texas after his wife became seriously ill with cancer. Still, some of the members of the writing team point out that while Pritchard claimed he didn't want to take time away from his wife to make the trip, he's also been pitching the idea of playing the brother love character at additional house shows as a replacement for the advertised Piper's pit segments. The allegation of the other writers is that Pritchard uses his family commitments in one sentence to get out of making trips that don't result in additional pay, but will give up that time with his family. If it means he'll be bringing in additional income in the form of house show payoffs not to mention the accusations that he wants to work the house shows so he can keep close to Vince McMahon. Your response? Uh, yeah, all that's exactly 100% all the truth. Yeah, it's exactly. I just, I, I just wanted to figure out a way that I could spend more time with Vince. That's exactly what it is. Where the fuck do they get this shit from? Well, hang on now. I, you started out, when I asked you about DDP at the top of the show, you said, fuck Dave Meltzer and Dave Meltzer was not even in the conversation. Well, fuck Wade Keller then. Thank you. I was like, what do we have to do to get a fuck, fuck Wade, Wade Keller the, around the, well, here? Fuck Wade Keller. Are you happy now? Fuck Wade Keller. How about fuck Wade Keller? There you uh, go. This, it's just, you know, again, the rumor and innuendo and shit. So Brian doesn't go there and, and whatever. I don't know what trip it is. You know, I love it that they, they point out, I guess the one trip I didn't make, they don't point out the 50 trips I did make that nobody else made because I was a guy that went to all the developmental territories and I went around and scouted and worked with all those guys all the time. So they don't point that out that I make all of those when nobody else did. Um, and whatever this trip is that Brian and I missed, um, if it was Brian's day off, I could see Brian, uh, saying, Hey, no, it's my day off. I've got plans. I'm doing it. And I don't want to go. And Stephanie's saying, fine, don't go. I also know Brian, you know, went down there as much as he hated it on his birthday and, and made those trips. So this is just ludicrous, uh, rumor and innuendo people stirring up gossip and shit. And I, I love the fact when they talk about the being with Vince again, during that time, there was, we looked for any opportunity to get away from Vince and move on. But no, no, I'm going to answer all this shit. You fucking want to talk it all and I'm fucking going to address it all. But also on, on, on the other shit about me pitching to go on the road. I didn't pitch to go on the road. I didn't want to go on the road to replace Piper at that time. Vince called me and said, Hey, I'm going on the road. You're coming on the road too. We're going to do a brother love show with Zach. And then I'm going to have you work a match with Zach. So we're going to over deliver by giving them brother love and Vince. Last thing I wanted to do was go back on the fucking road and do brother. Last thing I wanted to do was brother love. 
Last thing you want to that's do why is I went. leave the house. I mean, I, I know I you. Well, that's true. Last thing I want to do was leave the house. You're right. I know you well enough to know that if there's an option to do it from home, uh, you're I'm picking doing that it one. at home. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, right. So let me let me ask this though. I know you got frustrated when I was like, "Come on," but what I wanted to ask is for the, all of this to come out from the writing team. I mean, let's just pick it right here. It's one of these guys, Stooge and Keller, Michael Hayes. Dominic Pagliaro, Ed Koski, or Dave Lagana. You guess and I'll guess. I wasn't fucking there, but I'm just going to guess. Well, you know what? I, I bet you that it was probably Lagana going back to Heyman that got back to everybody. I was going to say, I was, I was if gonna, I was pitch a, uh, uh, what it was, those lines, you know? Yeah. Chain of custody. We'll go with something like that. Yeah. Well, what was yours? Oh, Lagana. Just cause I know but I could see, I could see all of them making fun of, of me and Brian both, by the way. Oh yeah. But here's the thing. I guess this is worth mentioning. That's not shitting on anybody. That's just no. what guys do. That's real yes. life. It's not a big deal, but I just know Lagana. What I know of him is to be a ball buster and, and he's friendly to everybody. So he'd be right. friendly to, you know, Wade Keller or in your case, Paul Heyman. So yeah, no. And, and had I been there, I would have been busting, uh, Brian's balls too. And anybody else that wasn't there. But again, it's just interesting that they leave out all the other dates that I was there <laughs> that none of them ever made and shit. That's why I think it's funny. If someone reported about what we were talking about at a live show, it would just be how much heat Matt Coon has with us. Who exactly. So Keller reports that it was obvious to just about everyone that McMahon had soured on Ultima dragon very quickly. Uh, of course, prior to his debut, the original plan, according to the torch was to have Mysterio Ultimo dragon match go down at SummerSlam, but that's off now. Did you guys have high hopes for Ultimo dragon before you saw him? And why was it a fart in church? Uh, because he was hurt. He was hurt. He came in damaged goods. Uh, he had, he had shoulder issues and just wasn't, you know, wasn't the Ultimo Drago. Drago, ultimate Drago of old. Um, yeah, he just was damaged goods and wasn't, couldn't go. Couldn't really go anymore at all. We always have fun with, um, your graveyard stories on a SmackDown leading to this show. John Cena cuts a promo on the undertaker from a graveyard. I have a feeling you produced that. I did not. David Lagana produced it, but this vignette was the last time we were a ever able to do vignettes in this cemetery because this was the cemetery where the guy got popped for stacking, uh, stacking caskets. And they got popped two days after we did the shoot. And the, the guy that owned the cemetery ran the cemetery thought that the newspaper was doing a big thing on us doing vignettes in the cemetery and called me and swore you guys will never be back here, but it was for him stop stacking bodies, but no Lagana actually produced those. I thought they were some good shit. There's also a skit here backstage where the APA is passing out invitations. to their uh, barroom brawl match and then Ray Mysterio and Billy Kidman beat the conquistadors. And here they're played by Nick Dinsmore and Rob Conway who loved the conquistadors. And why was it Brian? Because they're conquistadores. Uh, yeah. There you go. They're Latin. El conquistador. Uno y dos. Sometimes those dressed up in uno stuff. 
All right, let's go ahead and uh, fast forward to the pay-per-view. We're going to draw 9,500 fans here. It does 365,000 buys on pay-per-view. Are you pleased with those pay-per-view numbers? Yeah, because budget the budget was 300, so we we hit it and and that was considered a success. Okay, so the budget's 300. So you're saying 65,000 buys here is the profit for the company plus whatever the live gate was. Uh, I'm pretty sure 300,000 would have been profitable, but 300 was the budget. Again, it was an internal budget of where we wanted to be. I see. So the expectation was let's try to hit three and you more than, I mean, you hit 20% more than that. So real time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about the matches because we open up with a fucking barn burner, man. And I even forgot that this was the opening match, but process this. The first match on the pay-per-view is Eddie Guerrero and Chris Benoit. And this is the finals of the United States title tournament. I forgot. This is where they debuted this new championship. Of course, it had a huge legacy, you know, all the way back into Jim Crockett promotions is the first time I remember seeing it, but it had been around forever. And now you guys are introducing a new title and we've sort of talked about this before where Vince just brings back a title and does away with the title. We talked about how he just got rid of the intercontinental. What's the thinking in bringing back the U S title here? That SmackDown needed a championship with the brand split. Originally, we had talked about having the one undisputed champion. They, he would go back and forth in between shows, and then we would have an Intercontinental title on Raw and a U.S. title on SmackDown. That one would have women, and the other would have tag team champions. So obviously, all that changed as we went on, and this was the way to bring back the United States Championship into the fold. Uh, Wade loved the match. Uh, he gave it three and a half stars, but he did say, it seems like they were saving some stuff for a rematch down the line. He says that it was a slow build for the first five minutes and then a more methodical five minutes. And eventually the final six minutes really start to pick up with great action and near falls. I dug it. There's lots of fun shenanigans here with Eddie Guerrero lying and cheating and stealing. And this is the era where he's driving a car to the ring. Uh, what do you remember about this match and what sort of came back to you when you watched it for the first time in 15 years? I'm sure how great Eddie Guerrero was yeah. the, the facials, the little nuances, uh, from Eddie pulling out in the low rider that we got over at uh, low riders BS and shit. Um, he, when the crowd reacted to him and his reaction back, Every little thing that Eddie did in that match meant something. But his facials told the story all the way throughout. I thought it was an absolutely excellent match. And I'm always befuddled and amazed how Eddie can set somebody up for that frog splash and it looks like they're off and Eddie would adjust in midair and turn his body so that he would hit the frog splash perfectly. Um it just made me made me think how much I miss him, and absolutely, it could have been the main event of the match, and not one person would have been upset. Let's the talk, main event of the card. Let's talk about this tournament. You had Benoit and Rhino, Matt Hardy and Rikishi, Billy Gunn and John Cena, Eddie Guerrero and Ultimo Dragon. When I see that, I'm like, oh, I can pick the winners in this easy. I would have gotten it wrong. It was Benoit and Hardy, and then Eddie and Gunn. So of course, in the finals, Eddie goes over, he wins the United States title. 
pretty cool. I mean, I sort of forget. I think everybody really focuses on the fact that he finally won the undisputed belt and he beat Brock Lesnar for it. But knowing that he was the first U.S. champion in WWE history, it's a pretty cool little factoid, right? Yeah, I thought it was great, and I thought that it was a it was that boost of confidence that Eddie needed to know that he was back. Right. You know, he had, he had had his his spills and different times away and what have you, but this was that stamp that for Eddie from Vince to say, "Hey, man, you're back," and Let's go. Next up, we've got a backstage skit with Stephanie and Vince. They're having a conversation about Linda. Stephanie's giving him the business. Vince is trying to make it all better and then says he got her flowers, but not this big bouquet we've seen on screen the whole time. He pulls out this tea, tiny little pathetic bouquet and hands it to her. She doesn't put her hands out. So he just drops it. Um, says the bigger bouquet of course is for Sable. What'd you think of this skit? This is something you would have produced, huh? And the and the yeah and the little bouquet was was from some flowers somebody sent to Linda. <laughs> I just took them from there. They're good enough for your mother. They're good enough for you. Um, yeah, that was fun stuff. And I and was this a pre-tape or was it live? Oh God, that was probably pre-taped earlier in the day. How many times did Vince want to tape it? Oh God, no, 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 no. And this is this is the other funny thing because I was in my research for this show going back and I was talking to someone else about the whole me wanting to spend time with Vince and they laughed and they said, yeah, we all wanted to spend more time with Vince. Not, he says, except he goes one time that you always wanted to spend time with Vince was producing his pre-tapes. And the reason is, is because with Vince, you could do the pre-tape in one or two takes and then you're done. But if it's somebody <laughs> else, on. he overproduces the fuck out of it. Oh, if it's somebody else, yeah, you're, you're there forever. But if it's him, it's like, bam, man, we could go. And a lot of times we went live, but it was, you did it, one or two takes, bam, done. Next. I read somewhere yeah. the other day that a recent Raw, or maybe it was a SmackDown, I forget. It, was, it had to be Raw because of the length of the show, that they had 21 pre-tapes. So they had 21 rehearsals through the course of the show. That just felt fucking insanity to me when, when, when you were there, what's the most pre-tapes you remember doing in a day? Just freestyle, I guess. If it, if it was raw, it was too many. And the, the other, the other reputation that I always had when I would look through the script was too much talk, kill it, kill it. And whenever the show was heavy or something, I would just go through with a, with a red marker and X out the pre-tapes. I don't know, man. It's something we would have 20 pre-tapes in a show sometimes. It wasn't out of the, out of the ordinary. That's, that's, to me, that's not a lot. It is if I'm producing all them motherfuckers. (laughs) So let's talk about what's next. We got Jamie Noble painting Billy Gunn. And this is, I can't believe this is real. If Jamie Noble beats Billy Gunn, and this is a match that Tori set up. She laid down this challenge. If her man, Billy Gunn loses, Jamie Noble earns a night with Tori Wilson. And of course, with some shenanigans involved, it ends with a quick roll up star and a quarter. What do you think? Well, first of all, you're, you're downplaying Jamie Noble and I got my sex case, uh, <laughs> with the sex oils and the sex toys and everything special for you, Tori. Uh, Actually, I thought that it was pretty damn good. It was solid for what it was. It was to tell a story and to get to Jamie and, 
and Tori. And we had Nitty involved. Nitty come down, getting involved in that match. I don't know why you out here, baby. I'm going to get me a night with Tori. Um, it was entertaining shit. And plus, you get to hear the ass man. Wait a minute. Hypothetically speaking, I'm glad you brought that up. If you were to have one of these characters that we've grown so fond of that you portray on the show here, sing Billy Gunn's theme music, which is top five worst all time. What? what? Might that, oh, brutal. What might that sound like? Hmm. I'm trying to think who the hell would sing it. Um, I don't know how. Would Macho Man sing something like that? No. I think would, it would. I'll give you three choices. This is what I do. Okay, with three my, choices. I do this at my house whenever they okay. say, uh, I don't know, whatever you want for supper's fun. Three choices to sing Ass Man. Yes. Who are they? Paul Bear. Paul Bear. Jim Cornette. Jim Cornette. Paul Heyman. Paul Heyman. I can't, I can't sustain Heyman for that long. You don't have to do the whole um, song. Give us a verse. No, I could, I could do, uh, I'll do Paul bear. Okay. We don't do that one very often. <laughs> no, we don't. That's why, you know what? I'll do Paul bear singing. I'm an ass man. Let's do it. Oh yes. Well, I'm an ass man. Yeah. I'm an ass man. Yeah. I love to love them. I love to kick them. I love to shove them. I love to stick them. I love to flood them. I love to watch them. Oh, yes. I love to pick them. I'm going to kick them because I'm an ass man. Yeah, I'm an ass man. Oh, yeah. So many asses. So little time. Conrad, what's wrong? Oh, yes, I'm an ass man. Just saying if I was to do ass man. Throw all the fucking credits. We're not beating that. Oh, yes. My God. I like to lick them, too. I like to stick them. I love to love them. <sighs> now I'm blowing up. Thank you for that. If you think you were blowing up here, you were probably blowing up in the APA barroom brawl, which is what's next. And. Involved in this is not just brother yeah. love randomly, but Farouk, Doink the Clown, the Basham brothers, Orlando Jones, Chuck Palumbo, Nunzio, Johnny Stamboli, Canyon, Funaki, the Conquistadors, Matt Hardy, Shannon Moore, Brooklyn Brawler, Sean O'Hare, and the Easter Bunny. Uh, this, when you rattle all these names off, it feels like either A, an independent show, or B, a class action lawsuit against WWE. Uh, Look at this list here with the exception of Farouk Bradshaw and Matt Hardy and brother love. Now you got fucking fired and thrown out of there. I'm saying these other guys, okay. they're all fucking, they're short timers. You included. Yeah. Well, this is a little known, this little known fact. This is what, uh, those of us on the inside call the Denver screw job. I got screwed. I was supposed to go over. No, you weren't. Yeah. I was supposed to go over. Well, I got screwed, man. I don't believe that. Sure did. No, I got screwed, man. I got screwed. They, they, uh, Bradshaw hit me in the head with the, with a bottle. Screwed me. Hey, so let's talk about the sugar glass. Richie Posner secure that for your head. 
What sugar glass? That was real glass, man. Fuck you talking about? Cool. What watch were you wearing there? You weren't wearing your rooster watch. I don't think I was wearing a watch, was I? I might have been wearing the old gold Seiko back in the day. But yeah, no, the finish I had, the finish I agreed to was I, I just beat everybody. I eliminated more I eliminated more people than anybody in that match, I think, though. I eliminated the two conquistadors up there at the top. I, I got rid of I eliminated Sean O'Hare. That that was a shoot. He didn't want to do the job either. I said, no, big boy. Oh yeah. We'll just, we'll just see what happens out there, man. Hooked him up. So as you're doing your promo, do you know that Sean O'Hara's corpsing behind you? That sounded bad. Cause he's dead. I didn't mean that. I just mean he was laughing the entire time and he's trying to cover his face. So you can't see him cracking up, but I guess he was tickled at you doing your brother love delivery. Well, and uh, yeah, he won the, uh, the reason they had to take that shot was because Ron Simmons, I, my goal was to bust Simmons and Bradshaw and I busted Simmons, but then Simmons tried to bust me and I just had to not look at him, but it was no, I thought, man, that was a lot of fun. That was, that was a good time. And I got to eliminate a few people and have some fun and got screwed there in the end by Bradshaw, but it was, it was fun for what it was. Had that match taken place in the Astrodome, fucking 10 stars all day long. Whose idea was this? You know, shit? it's true. You're, you're jumping off tables and chairs and the bar and there's a crowbar. And I mean, it's just a hokey, embarrassing mess. Whose idea was this? I think it was Bradshaw's initial idea. And then it, it, it grew to just sheer silliness. Um, I, and again, I booked myself in it. No, I refused to be in it and said I wouldn't be in it. And then they just put me in it and I was, they announced it on the show and said, brother love. And I was in it and Vince decided I was going to be in it. So, um, it was just a, you know, a fun deal get the APA over, have something a little different. And the other running gag was the Easter bunny. Cause everybody hates the Easter bunny. Want to see the Easter bunny get his ass kicked. Next up is the match of the night. Shelton Benjamin and Charlie Haas taking on Ray Ooh. Mysterio and Billy Kidman to me, hands down match of the night. They go 15 minutes and one second. Uh, Benjamin pins Ray to retain the tag titles. Keller would say it was outstanding and gave it four stars. And he writes, there was a tease of a heel turn at the end with Kidman being just a tad bit late for the save. Um, of course we know that Kidman is going to wind up working with Ray at SummerSlam. Chat me up here. what did you think of this match? I mean, these guys who might not normally be featured like this because of the brand split, have an opportunity and they're making the most of it, man. If you haven't seen this match and I know some of our fans would say, ah, I don't care anything about that match. Go fucking watch oh. it. Shelton Benjamin, Charlie Haas, Ray Mysterio, Billy Kidman, and Vengeance 03. It's worth 15 minutes of your time. Three words in my notes. Fucking great match. Yeah. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, it's Again, it, it tells you a story, and it gives you a blueprint of how to work a great match and sell, do all the high spots, do all the crazy stuff, but sell 
the crazy stuff and tell me a story in the body of the match, which, it, as you say, these weren't guys that were main eventing at the time, but they stole the show with their in-ring work and had everybody on the edge of their seat. So, uh, God, I thought it was great. Sat there mesmerized at the screen all these years later going, son of a bitch, this is a great match. Well, not great matches coming your way. Sable and Stephanie are up next. They're going to get one star, but it's a brawl and it's interesting for what it is. One of the high spots is Stephanie ripping off Sable's top. Brian Hebner takes his shirt off to let her cover up. A train kicks Stephanie in the face and uh, it gets one star. We've talked about this match briefly in our Sable show. Anything you want to add to this one besides, you know, this entire show is roll tide. Oh my God. But going back and, and, uh, watching it, I wrote down these women are tough. They beat the shit out of each other. So I thought it was a, a damn good effort. It told a good story. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't supposed to be a 10 star match. It was to go out there and tell a little story and get the hell out of Dodge. And they did that. Yes, they did. Yes, they did. Next up undertaker, John Cena. Cena's going to cut a promo beforehand. Then they're going to go 16 minutes and six seconds. It's going to be a good match when the undertaker gets the pin though, three and a quarter stars. Uh, it's a last ride for John Cena. What'd you think? This is Cena's biggest match in the company up to this point. Uh, what was the feeling on how his first big match was received in the back? Uh, I think that this was Cena's coming out party were more than more than those of us that worked with him closely kind of said he's a player and he can go. You look at, you go back and listen to the promos Cena cut leading up to it. And then the, the promo he cut on taker beforehand was edgy, uh, risque, you know, we definitely, they couldn't do that today, but it was, to me, I thought John Cena did his best work during a lot of that thugonomic stuff where he got to write his own raps and stuff. He was the, the heel poet laureate of the WWE in 2003. Would you sit there and listen to his raps and some of the stuff that he cut? Man, I thought it was excellent on, on every, in every area, from the promo to the story to the match. You felt it, and it was some good shit. It was good shit. Uh, it was good shit when McMahon wrestled Zach Gowan. I wouldn't imagine that they would have gotten 14 minutes, but I guess if it's Vince, maybe you do. Allegedly, they worked this match out a number of times in Stamford, Connecticut, so they'd be ready for the pay per view here because both of these guys are, you know, not traditional wrestlers to say the least. Vince, I thought, looked pretty good in this. He looked bigger than a motherfucker. And he clearly had somebody oil up his back and arms. Who do you think did that? I got a boss. There's a dry spot here. Let me make sure it's moist. I know. God, you're vascular. I know we sort of joke about Zach Gowan because the absurdity of him being in this spot and just some of the shenanigans you guys pulled with him, you know, it's fun, whatever. But this little fucker, man, he's doing moonsaults and an acai and. I mean, when you really, I know that a lot of people sort of probably set the bar low, especially when he comes to the ring and then takes the prosthetic off. You're like, what the fuck can this be even be this? I mean, this was way better than it had any business being 
It gets uh, two and three quarter stars. The fans agree. And by the way, while we're putting over Zach Gowan, we need to put over the Vince McMahon pulled out all the stops here. Not a traditional wrestler at all, but he's bleeding and he's working his ass off to make this thing look good. And it is sort of a sideshow, and I get that. But based on my expectation watching this again, I thought, well, here we go. This will be a shit show. Not so much. Man, you go back and, and you look at the absurdity of it all and the absurdity of the promos leading up to it and the package and all the things that we did getting to it was like, oh, my God, I can't believe we did that. Right. But the delivery in the match, it made sense. <laughs> you know, it's you sit there. and What, what is Vince going to do? He's going to work the leg all oh, the whole damn match. You know, he's only got one. I'm going to work it. So. It was it was just a terrific story that you get through, and Zach sold it. And again, here's a kid. He's a kid. And he's working with the owner of the company and having a match. And it's not like he can go, hey, Vince, loosen up. Lighten up there a little bit, big boy. A little heavy on that knee. Um, he's taking it. He's fighting back, and he was, he was given everything he was taking. So... Hats off to Zach Gallon, man, for hanging in there. And again, it, it was enjoyable. I get lost in the stories. And I, if it tells a great story and then the match follows up on that story, awesome, man. Good night at the office. Well, here we are. Main event. What did you think? We've got a three way here. Um, this is sort of interesting because you've got a rematch from WrestleMania. Kurt Angle and Brock Lesnar, but now you introduce Big Show into the into the mix. They're going to go 17 minutes and 38 seconds. Of course, Brock is your champion, but not at the end of the night because Angle lands an Angle Slam for the pin, and the match gets four and three uh, and four and a quarter stars rather. So a really high rating, the highest of the show. I didn't think it was as good as the tag match. I don't know why, um, but I just preferred the tag match. But they pull out all the stops here, including uh, Angle putting show through the Spanish announcers table, which is sort of fun to see. What'd you think here? I loved it. I, I absolutely, and I and I'm not a big fan of three way matches, right? And you go back and think about the timing of all of this. This is coming off of a period that we lost Rock, we lost Austin. We were in fear of losing angle right before this. And Kurt had gone in and had his neck surgery, which was very radical at the time, to do what he had done. And he comes back and he's better than better than ever. And we thought, oh my God. Um it, it was like the fountain of youth almost. You got Brock, man, just coming up. I, I can't say he was at his prime by any stretch of the imagination. I don't know if that son of a bitch has hit it yet. But it's it's a young Brock Lesnar. It's a young Kurt Angle, fresh off of a surgery with brand new life in him and a motivated big show that wants to eat people. And show was out to prove a point. Show was out to let everybody know that he was a player. And every single guy, in my opinion, came out of this better than when they went into it from the match. Uh, Kurt Angle, obviously, by winning the championship, Brock Lesnar because of his performance in the match and then big show because they put him through everything. And, and he, 
he was an actual giant. They made him a giant in this match. And there were times where Big Show would go out and work, and Big Show wants to show you how, how good of a worker he is. And he forgets that he's seven foot tall, and he's a giant. And in this match, they made him a giant. Um, great storytelling, and, and I thought it was nobody, nobody called that finish. Nobody thought that uh, we were going to switch the title there. And that's kind of why we made the decision. It was like Angle was brand new all over again. Let's do something different. Help me understand, and I'll admit, I don't know shit about wrestling. I'm just a fan. But if you've got a three-way here, why wouldn't you have Angle beat Big Show to win the title instead of Brock? Is it just to give him the win back from WrestleMania? Now I got my rubber match. Okay, there you go. Um, I, w- I do want to circle back because there is some speculation in this recap issue of the torch that maybe McMahon was going to turn Zach heel. It's written like this, a heel turned by Zach can't be ruled out either. As he may decide if he can't beat McMahon to join him. He seems to be more of a natural heel than a baby face in terms of his promo work and facial expression, despite the obvious traits meaning he's a one-legged, skinny, young, babyface underdog that would point to him being an obvious babyface. That seems ridiculous to me that you guys considered turning him heel, but you're saying that was really considered? We talked we talked about it because it was another one of those situations where you can't call it. Right. And here the young kid is, is in there, can't beat him, might as well join him. And if I'm in the boss's camp, but it was momentarily talked about the the true story was the babyface story and everything that he had overcome in life. And that's where we wanted to go. That was going to get more. We felt that was going to get a whole hell of a lot more play than turning him heel in a wrestling angle. what did you think of Vince's performance that night? You know, there was some speculation at the time that maybe Zach was going to have some heat for busting Vince open, <laughs> but I don't think that was necessarily the case. Let's say you- no, Vince had the damn chair the wrong way and he got caught on the edge of the chair, learned a lesson. So it wasn't, it wasn't Zach's fault. Well, I mean, I, I wonder if coming out of that match, what Vince really needed was for hims.com because they could have helped Vince in all the ways he likes, you know, he's always had that, that hair that Jesse Ventura used to say may have been a rug. And of course, Johnny Ace probably had his skincare down pat, but. He's even referred to himself as the genetic jackhammer. So to keep his game up, maybe he needed a little four hymns because these guys make it easy. They've got all kinds of solutions that are backed by science, which a genetic jackhammer probably wants, but a busy guy like Vince, man, no waiting rooms, no doctor visits for hymns, probably perfect for him. Cause you just answer a few quick questions, upload a couple of photos and rumor and innuendo as Vince would like that. And then a doctor prescribes you the prescription meds you need, and they just ship it directly to your door. It doesn't get any easier than that. Right, Bruce? Well, maybe Jesse should have used it when he first saw that he was going bald. And if you see that you're maybe losing a little bit of hair, then for hymns is for you. Stop it now. And this can help you and attack it before you go all the way bald. Kind of like, well, you know, Jesse Ventura and, um, got a hell of a deal for you. 
You want to hear what it is? No, don't do this again. You're, you're constantly trying to do stuff like too, too cheap or free. And these advertisers are not going to come back to us. if you keep doing this. How about only $5? No, if, if you go on. listen, listen to me. Go on over to four hymns.com slash W W E that's F O R H I M S.com slash W W E. And you're going to get an entire month trial month of hymns for just $5 right now while supply lasts. Go on over, check out their website for full details. And again, man, if you're just at that part, you know, the hairlines are seen a little bit before it gets too much, visit for hymns.com slash WWE five bucks. Well, you could go to at Pritchard show on Twitter and ask a question for our upcoming episodes, which we're going to run down for you in just a minute. But we do want to remind you that our upcoming live show is at Gramercy theater. As Bruce likes to say, we're going to be there SummerSlam weekend. Finally, you say it right. And you can get your tickets for the Gramercy theater over at brucepritchard.com. Don't put a T in his name, put one on your back. You can also pick up shirts there at brucepritchard.com. And don't forget when you pick up a shirt, eventually, allegedly, according to the rumor and innuendo before the end of next year, Bruce will call and personally thank you. Uh, he will hope that you will have your phone off and he can leave you a voicemail to play for all of your friends instead, but tickets for Gramercy theater, where you can actually meet Bruce, get a picture, get an autograph and, uh, tell all your friends that you met brother love You can make that happen. at Bruce Let's do some rapid fire questions from Twitter for vengeance. Are you ready? Hit me, Biatch. Robert wants to know if Vince was a Lamaze coach, what would that sound like? Breathe, baby, breathe. Oh, yeah, that's how I like it. In with the good air, out with the bad, bitch. Uh, Mondo wants to know did Bruce get two paydays for vengeance? No, I got one. Why would I get two? Because you were backstage and on air. You were brother love. That's salary. Danny wants to know. Remember when Brock actually had a move set? I don't understand what that means. I think he's being critical that a lot of times guys think it's just suplex and punches now, but here he was trying to wrestle his ass off. Do you think there's been a change in his work? And is that based on, um, his attitude towards the business or just getting older playing the hits? What do you think? No, I think that that's from his UFC and from the, the persona that he has developed through the years. And that's what people want to see. Uh, Dick Byrne wants to know where did the world's greatest tag team name come from? <laughs> Looking the idea behind it was when Kurt came in, we had these amateur wrestlers and it was Kurt being the gold medalist. And in his mind, they were the world's greatest tag team. It was just something that we came up to give them something, some kind of moniker other than we were going to make them the all American team, a lot of different things. And then that's just what we stuck on world's greatest tag team. Here's a fun one. And I look forward to your answer here. Nick wants to know why didn't Sean O'Hare work out with his devil's advocate gimmick that he had around this time. It was awesome to me and had serious legs. Well, nobody else thought that way. It just, it, he got no reaction. Sean, for whatever reason, I, I thought he had this really captivating personality. Sean just never really connected with the audience. No one cared. Uh, hypothetically, this comes from Preston Ritter. Hypothetically, if Paul Heyman were the advocate of Zach Gowan, what would that sound like? If my 
what the hell is he? What, what's his? Uh, what, what's 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 Brock? He's an advocate. He, yeah, but Paul's an advocate. What is Brock? Is based incarnate? Um, I don't know, dude. What is? I he? don't. I don't either. And I'm I'm stumped what? here. Uh, well, this. If one Zach Gowan is to hit you with his nub, it will be Nub City all night long. Is this real? Yeah, I'm sorry. Dude, I took that fucking nub every night for a week. He would hit me with the moonsault off the top and I'd catch him and it would and he would come down right on my face. And it hurt. Where are you at on um us doing a nub shirt? Nah. Don't want to do that? No. But Zach call me, we'll figure something out. <laughs> I don't know why that's funny to me, but it is. Oh. Um, David wants to know why was this a triple threat? I think everybody, I mean, that's probably one of our most requested questions. Why isn't it just a rematch? Just to make it a bigger match and to, to throw a red herring in there and, and kind of make it a pick them. CJ wants to know who really came up with the idea of John Cena pissing on a grave. John Cena. He asked if he could do it, and that was one of the things that, that was written in there. And, and we ran it by everybody and asked Vince if it was cool to do and take her if it was cool to do, and he did it. But I, I'm pretty sure that it was Cena's idea. Here's a fun one. <laughs> Is Shannon Moore the first wrestler to ever lose a fight to Brother Love? Oh, uh, in real life? No. Oh. On TV. Brother Love's no, not a real person. I took the conquistadors out first, didn't I? I took two guys out at once, by God. And then Shannon. Little motherfucker. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I took several guys out. I was supposed to win. Um, 37 Custom Toys wants to know, were you concerned that Zach Gowan would try and hold Vince up for more money like other wrestlers with egos had in the past? He is from Michigan after all. Well, you know, I don't get it. Sorry. No, there was no concern. Don't get it. I think that comes from allegedly Zach Gowan. I don't know. Maybe didn't have the best attitude towards the end. What can you tell us about Zach Gowan's end of his run with you guys? I think that no guys just didn't like him and felt that he was cocky and he was trying so hard to, to fit in that I think everything that he did was wrong. And then it was amplified, but, um, he was not in any position to hold anybody up. That was he going to do. Lots of uh, people want to know if you guys were drinking real beer doing the, um, the barroom brawl here. Yes, we did. Tell me about who played doink here on this show. I think that was Nick Dinsmore. Um, I think Nick Dinsmore did doink and I think Rob Conway was the bunny. Okay. Uh, lots of people are curious, uh, and you, I think you answered it here, but you know, everybody thinks they have a theory. Vince McMahon's color, definitely a hard way, not a blade. Oh job. yeah. hundred percent. The hard way. What's the reaction in the back when, uh, the nub gets color. Well, we all saw we all saw when it happened, and and it it was more. Look, here's here's the sick thing about sometimes in production and when you're producing something, looking at it, we were more concerned with how much blood he was getting on the mat, right? Then is he okay? 
<laughs> I know that's terrible, but it's like, God, can he bleed? Get him out of the ring so he can bleed out there. I didn't want to screw up the map for the main event. <sighs> I don't know why that's, that's real life. funny to me, but it is. So um, one of our more famous bits here on the show that occasionally I'll break out for you because everybody asks it every week and I almost never do. Top Rope Zebu wants to play F. Mary Kill with the main event. Brock Lesnar, Big Show, and Kurt Angle. But instead of Bruce answering, why don't we have Jim Cornette answer? Why don't you answer it? No. Yeah, go ahead. It's not funny if I answer. It's funny to me. Make me laugh. All right, well, fuck it. Uh, you ready to wrap the show up? I thought you'd go out with a joke, but we can just, God you know. damn it, I'll fuck Big Show, motherfucker. <laughs> I like them hefty. Who would you kill? I'd kill the Brock motherfucker. God damn, you don't want him running around after he's been fucked. I'd marry Kurt because he's smooth. You know what's so twisted is you literally, you had no idea I was going to hit you with that. And you just freestyled all that. And it was perfect. You know what else is perfect? Maybe maybe I've lived it. Our lineup for August. I haven't even told you what we're doing. Yeah, I was just going to say, why don't you tell me? Uh, well, here's, here's the thing. I'm going to run through what we're doing and then I'm going to let you pick a year. So are you ready? Yeah. I may have to pick the year next week after I do some no, research. No, Go we're ahead. not doing that. Okay. Next week we didn't cover it last year. I tried, but we couldn't make it. But next week the show is going to drop of course on Friday, August 3rd. And that's the 21 year anniversary of SummerSlam 1997. It's the famous show where you've got the Undertaker wrestling against and defending his world title against Bret Hart. The special guest referee, of course, is Shawn Michaels. The Loogie comes out, the chair is swung, and Bret Hart becomes a five time champion. You also see the unfortunate situation where Owen Hart drops Steve Austin on his head. It's such a jam packed show. And it's the first one that happened in New Jersey. So this is a really, really important show for the history of the company. And we're covering SummerSlam 1997, my favorite year next week on August 3rd. Pretty good pick, huh, Bruce? Yeah, I like that one. Next up, and here's where you got to put your thinking cap on. August 11th is Hulk Hogan's birthday. So we're going to cover Hulk Hogan on Friday, August 10th. Now we've already covered Hogan 87 and Hogan 88. Am I going to go in chronological order? Or are you going to pick another year? I want you to think about that. But on August 10th, we're going to cover Hulk Hogan. And of course he's fairly topical since he's been reinstated into the WWE hall of fame. And everybody's talking about that. And we've got lots of fun bonus content coming up for you on Patreon over the weekend. If you haven't already check it out, patreon.com forward slash something to wrestle. You're going to see us talk about WrestleMania 30. The very first time the undertaker lost, of course, Bruce wasn't there. So that ought to be fun. And we've got some more bonus stuff coming to you this weekend as well. So check it out and vote in our poll. Bruce, are you ready? I'm going to run through what these SummerSlam years are. Go for it. August 17th, the following week, SummerSlam 1988. This is the one you really wanted. Of course, on top, we've got Andre the Giant and we've got the Million Dollar Man. And across the ring, it's going to be the one and only Mega Powers. And lots of powers in the mega bucks, lots of fun stuff happening on this one too. The honky tonk man, ultimate warrior match, more than you can shake a stick at SummerSlam 88 poll option. Number two, SummerSlam 1993. A lot of people think this was going to be when history was made 
and the American hero that we all needed. Mr. Lex Luger is going to be the world champion. It doesn't happen at SummerSlam 93. Yokozuna wins. So if you want to hear that story, vote for 93. Poll option number three, SummerSlam 1998, Highway to Hell. We're back at Madison Square Garden, and we've got two baby faces in the main event, a baby face Undertaker, and believe it or not, a baby face Stone Cold Steve Austin. And maybe it wasn't quite what it could have been, but that's not the match everybody's talking about. Instead, they're going to be talking about The Rock and Triple H in a very unique ladder match, unlike any other we'd seen in the company up to that point. Poll option number three, SummerSlam 1998. Last, but certainly not least SummerSlam 2003. And this is when you start to see more of the fun 2003 stuff we covered today happen, except here it's both a raw and a SmackDown show. You've got a super show and in the main event, it's an elimination chamber with Shawn Michaels, Randy Orton, Kevin Nash, Chris Jericho, Goldberg, and triple H. Underneath, we've got Kurt Angle working with Brock. We've also got Kane and Rob Van Dam. Eddie Guerrero is working against Chris Benoit, Rhino, and Tajiri in a fatal four-way. A false count anywhere match. This actually happened. Shane McMahon and Eric Bischoff. We've got The Undertaker and A-Train. Ugh. La Resistance is going to take on the Dudley Boys. Lots of fun stuff. SummerSlam 2003. So there's your SummerSlam poll. And that's what's coming your way on August 17th. If you had to pick Bruce, are you still picking 88? 88 or 93. I'm picking 88 myself. Poll option, not poll option. August 24th, we're going to cover the very first edition of SmackDown. I can't believe that was done in August, but it was. The very first SmackDown happened way back when, and we're going to explore it in long form on August 24th. And then on the 31st, we're going to finish the month right the way we should with whatever came in second in the SummerSlam poll. So you're going to get three SummerSlams in the month of August. 97 starting next week, Hulk Hogan on August 10th, a SummerSlam poll and whatever wins between 88, 93, 98, and 03. And you can vote right now, patreon.com forward slash something to wrestle. The very first SmackDown on the 24th. And then on the 31st, whatever comes in second in the SummerSlam poll. So you hope that one of those is 88 and the other's 93. There you go. Okay. That's my vote. Now you've had a few minutes to think about it. What year of Hulk Hogan's historic run are we going to cover? I say we go in order and hit 89. So there you go. Lots of nostalgia this year, boys and girls, Hulk Hogan's 89, August 10th. So set your clock, set your calendars, tweet somebody and somebody tell your body that everybody needs to be listening to these bodies cover SummerSlam three times in August. I'm fired up about this, man. Fired up and ready. We're fired up and ready. It's SummerSlam month. It's SummerSlam month. Cause I'm an ass man. I'm Fuck you, motherfucker. Man. I'm a goddamn ass man. I like to flick them too. Grammar CT Anger, BrucePritchard.com. Snatch your tickets up. Come see us live and in person. And don't forget to check out BrucePritchard.com for all your shirts. We'll see you next week right here on Something to Wrestle with SummerSlam 97. Bruce Pritchard.
John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra? I think I can get an extra five to ten. What if I give you 15 to 20? Can you pay me more? Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B L E A V on YouTube or wherever you listen.